So this week on Three Sides of the Coin, we have Paul Gargano on. He was the former um, editor of Metal Edge magazine, which I'm sure everybody has read, and um, he has some amazing stories, some good stories about Gene Simmons. And uh, so stay tuned. You're not going to want to miss this. This is Three Sides of the Coin, talking all things KISS. I want to rock and roll all night. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Three Sides of the Coin with four co-hosts today and a guest. We're filling yeah. it up today. You're able to fit me in. Can you believe that? Lisa said, can I join? And we all said, of course you can. I had no hamster issues this week. No hummingbird, no hamsters. It's a uh, so I know, right? So, so before we get into this week's guest, because we'll get into it really quickly here, uh, it's a fascinating interview. Um, Mark, the big question you have to answer from last week's homework. Mm-hmm. How many plates of crab legs did you go through at the all-you-can-eat? Is it buckets or plates? Plates. All right. Was that the number? Hi, I do believe you did guess it. Seven. But with a caveat, a couple of those plates had multiple servings on them. But it was overall, it was seven plates, though. Well, so how do you navigate through that? It is what it is. Tommy, no, Tommy wins. Ding, ding, ding. Tommy wins. Yeah, and I probably should have. I, I probably shouldn't even have guessed because I've watched you enough to kind of know I can gauge it. <laughs> you know, because I, I did the math. I'm like, okay, he shows up at this time. He's there for two and a half hours. He drinks and, this and, much and water. He went, he went in hungry. I yep. again, again, I when I got up. I got my flight. I didn't eat breakfast. I didn't eat lunch. I knew I was heading to my favorite seafood destination, you know, and and uh, in, in on Clearwater Beach, and they have all you can eat crab. And when you know, went from the airport, went home, changed, went straight to the beach, got there in plenty of time. Matter of fact, we I got there about five thirty because that's right when the show started. And yeah, I sent you guys. You sent you sent yeah, us picture yeah, of when, plate one. Yes. And that, yeah, that immediately yeah, and, kicked and, us into the homework question. And I, I out of the bucket, though. What's that? The lobster coming out of the oh, bucket. Oh, no, that was another night. That oh, was another night. Yeah. That, yeah. That Don't was get confused. Night. That was just, yeah. yeah. So, so that's <laughs> the whole thing. You know, the first night was all I could eat crab. The next night was a thing called the bucket. Now, the bucket is exactly as they say. It's a metal pail with a, an incredibly large, full, steamed lobster. Lobster. Full full claws head the whole fucking thing then under that is crab and then under that are mussels and then there's corn and potatoes all in a bucket why you know i you probably agree with me on this mark why even put the corn and potatoes in there you're not going to eat that yeah that's what i'm just gonna say i did not i did not finish the potatoes i did not they i I was just and also if if you saw that picture if you saw the picture on facebook there was a two-handed bloody mary Oh, with, I saw that. Oh, it was incredible. With with a huge full shrimp, not just the tail, a full fucking huge shrimp, um, bacon, um, olives. olives, pickles. I mean, 
This uh, again, this fucking it is two handed for the for the Bloody Mary. Now, was it spicy or non spicy? Very spicy because that's how I like it. Well, let me tell you again. I was like, I was like a newborn. I was like, <laughs> and I was done, man. <laughs> was fucking awesome. <laughs> food coma. <laughs> Mark, so Mark, let me ask you at the all you can eat place. At what plate did the did the the wait staff look at you and go, really, another one, another oh, one? Oh no, they 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 knew they saw that this was you know this was no amateur hour. They knew. As soon as I walked in, they they were like you know waving the flags and you know I walked in took my Mark's bow. Here. Yeah, yeah. It, it, they, it, they, it was if you remember if you remember the the movie The Great Outdoors with John Candy, it's Mark walking in for the old ninety sixer. Yeah, it was. Uh, uh, I tell you, I, I have a very a funny story that I'm, you know? I will not tell. I will not tell right now. But I have a very, very funny story about this place, like two times ago when I was there, which I'm not going to share on here. But I'll tell you three. It's okay. fucking hilarious. <laughs> so, so. All right. So, so for those you. those of you out there listening and watching, if your homework answer for Mark was seven, you know the man. Yeah. <laughs> Give yourselves a round of applause. Yeah. Let's go. And your surprise so. is knowing Mark so well. Yes. Keep in mind, though, too, these were these were these weren't Alaskan kings, you know. Um, I factored that into. Yeah. Well, you know, and and and, and you know, look, a, a good king is a good a, a good expert at eating crabs will understand. Alaskan king crab is great, but it can do a number on your hands. Because the, the 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 claws are so hard and spiky. I have a fucking cut right there. Oh my yep. God! Yeah. Do you have like a, yeah. a wound? Like a, well, like, those, a... like Mike said, you're absolutely right. those fucking things are sharp. They're yep. like razors. Yep. Don't they give you tools? Well, yeah, but like, you still have to Lisa, use hands. Lisa, Lisa, come on. Fuck that! I literally Liz Liz looks at me and she's like, "You're like a machine." I just because I just take my I don't use the thing. I just use my. You just eat the whole fucking thing. Yeah, no, no, no! I just crack them in my mouth, pull them out, go. Like I said, it's left swallow, right swallow. Crack, dumb, crack, dumb. Dude, I'm a fucking machine when I'm doing that. Could you imagine, Mark? That's it. That's exactly it. It's like, don't fucking talk to me. It's it's his version of juggling. Oh it's, God! If, if you know, imagine this. While Mark is eating like that, if somebody went out and looked into the ocean. The crabs are trying to run as fast as they can the other direction. Well, it was funny because our, our wait, because we were we were down there with Liz and her best friend, and as soon as we got there, I said to the lady, I said, "Just start bringing them before they even fucking ordered, because I'm going to keep fucking going." And I I was I went all the way through their appetizers and their dinners, and I was the last. I was still eating when they were gone. <laughs> I've been there when he's done this before. Well, the, really like I said, it was like she she knew. That's what I mean. They knew as soon as I fucking sat down. I looked at her. She's like, "You're getting the." I said, "Yep." And I said, "Start him now." And and, and that know? that guy was coming over with his fucking his tongs. Just you know, it's fucking sweet. Mark got his money's worth out of that meal. He did. The, the funniest and thing. And put it this way: if you're a crab connoisseur too, you know there it's that's not filling. I mean those you know right. you can eat a lot of them. 
So, the funniest uh, thing though is when we go, whenever we go to dinner, and he tells them he wants water and he wants a pitcher of water, yes, they true. always bring them a glass of water. He's like, "No, you don't no, understand. Don't. A pitcher, pitcher of water. That is, yeah. People no, just you don't drink it out of the pitcher, do you? No, no, no. But okay, just make, I, okay, just making sure. I, I have, but I don't always I have. I have. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that I haven't. I'm just saying, you know. Look, look, the digestion is great, man. You just get a big, huge fucking thing of water. You just pound the fucking water into crab legs, and you're good to go. And it's almost like they're back in the ocean again. It is. <laughs> they feel at home. <laughs> so here, here's 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 first homework question, based off of Mark. Have you learned anything about how to properly eat crab legs from Mark? Maybe there should be a tutorial. Yes. Oh, he had a YouTube video. Yes, yeah. we should do three eat, three sides of the coin eating crab with Mark. You know, I'll see what I'll see what I can do because Sunday's Father's Day. I'll see. You. Liz has already said we're going to probably do the seafood extravaganza. So yeah, um, video we're not tape doing it. Any. Video. Just set a camera up yeah. on the other side of the table and just let it run. Nice. Hey, before I forget, you know, um, I, I wasn't around <laughs> last week. Um, I want to say thank you to, to everybody. I mean, the my band's Left for Dead. The video's close to 5,000 now. And we're, uh, God, the fucking comments and everything coming in. Just want to say thank you to everybody. There's so much positive uh, feedback and uh, very humbling. Well, Mark, so. it's awesome. It's really cool. And, I mean, and I want to tell you that, that Mike, Mike Branvold, if, guys, if your band needs someone to market you, totally knows what he's doing. So uh, I'm making Mark a rock star. All over the world. Getting exposure all over the world. And, and I, I, it's so nice every day you wake up and you, you know, see some new comments. And, you know, um, thank you. It's very, again, you know, it's something that, that we love to do. And, uh, it's just fun that people are, are getting off on it. And it's it's just, again, I don't even know how to say it without just thank you. It's cool. So, Lisa, were you watching well, your so cat lick herself? I know. I just happened to look over. I was like, what the hell is she doing? I'll, I'll hold my comment on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right. Let's let's get into this week's guest. Yeah. Um, Lisa, since you know this week's guest. Yes, I do. Would you like to kind of give everybody a little tease of who it's going to be? Sure. So if you've read Metal Edge magazine back in the day, you've probably seen his name under the editor column. He did a lot of articles with Kiss and a lot of other bands. The editor of Metal Edge magazine, well, the former editor of Metal Edge magazine, Parker Gunna. And he owns the magazine now. One of the he owns he, the magazine. One of the thing he reveals to us, he bought he bought the magazine. And a lot of cool things. There are so happening. many incredible stories that Paul shares oh, with God. us. Kid you not. The stories yeah. are amazing. Stories about but Paul Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Peter Chris. I mean, it's just story, you know, it, it's great inside stuff that he shares. Yep. Ace Fraley as well. Yeah. Because Mike just doesn't want to mention the name. Oh, that's, uh, I hate the guy. <laughs> but anyway it, let it roll Paul was absolutely fascinating fascinating he's coming back for sure to share more stories
Want to get your official Three Sides of the Coin logo and Shocker tee? Now you can. We ship worldwide. Get yours online at shop.threesidesofthecoin.com. Three sides of the coin. We are joined by Paul Gregano, who was the former uh, editor of Metal Edge magazine. And I know everybody out there read that magazine cover to cover all the time, just like I did. So uh, welcome, Paul. Thank you. So, 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 Paul, um, before we get into all of your your Kiss fandom and your history, let's just get a little background. How did you end up? at Metal Edge, because Jerry Miller was the original editor at Metal Edge. Right. Um, long story, as short as I could make it, let's see. Um, I was, this was back the AOL days, so the, um, we didn't have an internet yet, but we had America Online. And I was the rock critic for the Milwaukee Journal, and I did a front page cover story on Ozzy Osbourne, like a huge interview on the Sunday edition of the newspaper. and. I was friends with a bunch of the guys that were in Metal Edge, and they used to always um, persuade me to come into the chat rooms when Jerry was doing chats and like just join them and make wisecracks and just be myself. And Jerry caught on after a few times that I was a writer and the guys knew me, and she did some research on me, found out I did the Ozzy Osbourne article, and one day I just randomly got a text message, like an AOL instant message from Jerry I didn't even know, like, I'd never met her before. I got a random text, me uh, instant message from her on AOL saying, hey, um, I want to use your Ozzy Osbourne article. And I was like, who is this? What are you talking about? And then she explained it was Jerry Miller from Metal Edge. And honestly, I was never a huge Metal Edge fan. So I didn't know a ton. It wasn't like I could just, like, jump right in and go, yeah, I'm interested. I took a very guarded approach with it because I figured if she couldn't get an Ozzy interview, there was a reason why. I called the publicist, uh, explained the situation to them. I got a call back from Sharon Osbourne's office saying, we won't talk to Jerry, but if, she, if we can talk to you and get in Metal Edge, by all means, we authorize whatever. So I called Jerry and she goes, but leverage it. So I called Jerry and I said, look, I'm willing, I'm able, I'd love to do it, but I don't want it to be a one shot thing. Can I write for you? And I said, I've never really been a huge fan of the magazine, but I would love to write for you. And she actually, I think, liked my honesty. And I, one of the first assignments I ever did for her was the Kiss reunion show at Tiger Stadium. So that was, and it was, we were, we got really close really fast. I mean, she was, she was a really dear friend of mine for a long time. So how, how did you end up as editor? Um, when she parted ways with the magazine, it was, I was, there was, there was a bunch of back and forth between her and the owner. Um, they, the owner was a younger guy. Um, did you, is Lee, that, did you ever meet the owner? Is that Al, Alan Tuller? Yes, it was Alan Tuller. Um, that sounds familiar. Yeah, you might have met him at one of those Kiss events, at one of the Metal Edge events or something, but, because um, I think there was a Metal Edge event in New York where I met you the first time, and I think Alan might have been there. But the, um, the, uh, where was, I? oh, Alan and Jerry just started butting heads. I mean, it was just, I mean, honestly, it was, Alan was closer to my age. He's a couple years older than me. And Jerry was set in her ways, as we all are, as I am now. 
and she just started butting heads with Alan. And there was there were sales dips. You know, it was, it was a really hard time for mag. I mean, now is a saying that was a hard time is seems kind of right. And like compared to where we're at now. But he just kind of was over it. And I had relationships with a lot. Jerry wouldn't let me kind of part of it was a little bit her undoing because she wouldn't let me deal with a lot of the guys she liked. So she was very protective of the warrants and the LA guns and the bands like that her, she raised the magazine on. She was so protective of those bands and not wanting me to have access to them beyond what I had already that she kind of forced me into this direction where I had to become Mr. Marilyn Manson, Corn, and all of that. To the point where like there are Kip Winger when he first when Kip and I met for the first time, he was shocked and stunned that I was a Winger fan because everyone just thought I was this like new metal guy. They just thought I was this like crazy guy with purple hair that liked Marilyn Manson. So it just got to a point where the shape the magazine, the direction the magazine was going in. She was butting heads a lot with Alan, and finally Alan just called me in. He goes, here's the deal. Um, I'm letting her go. So are you taking over, or do I have to find a new editor? And I said, no, of course I'll take over. So that was it. So do you think she wanted, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Saying, so do you think that she wanted to keep it old school metal, per se, or 80s metal when things were evolving with Korn and Marilyn Manson and these other bands, and that was part of the problem? No, I think part of the problem, honestly, was, and I'm just, I'm just on a full disclaimer because I'm sure it'll get to this. When she left, she called me and said, I'm leaving. I expect you to leave with me. And I said, absolutely not. And we have not talked since. I mean, she started a smear campaign on me of epic proportions and it backfired because, I mean, she was, she was trying, ironically, the biggest person she tried to smear me with was Sharon Osbourne. And that was how I got into Metal Edge. So, like, the whole thing was just, she's like, Paul hates women. There was, like, just all this, like, oh, Lord. I can't even imagine what she would have done to me if it was, like, the Me Too movement existed back then. Because I had dated, like, a musician that was in Metal Edge. Like, I can't even imagine the things she would have said to me if... Um, we were then where we are now, but, um, she, she made it pretty brutal and we have not talked since I reached when I bought the magazine a couple of years ago, one of my business partners reached out to her and she seemed pretty, she seemed pretty, um, interested in being involved. Cause I said, I wanted her involved. The minute she found out I was involved, she said, I want, she wants nothing to do with it. So we are not everything I'm saying, I'm saying with the perspective of, unfortunately, she and I don't talk. I, I wish that Understood. was different. She was a but huge. Was your, but was your opportunity? She was a huge part of my life. I mean, it was. We were. I mean, I knew her. I knew her schedule better than anybody. I knew that I couldn't call her. You know, I couldn't call her at seven p.m. because that's when she watched Jeopardy, and she knew she would ask me about dates. She would ask me everything. We were really super close, but it was just she. I said to her, Jerry, I never took. I never took the role as managing editor to just be under you forever. And it's not my fault that you're having problems with Alan. And honestly, you should want me to take the magazine over because I share your vision. And I'm never gonna let go of Firehouse and Warrant and Dockin and Rat. And she just she just saw it as a lack of loyalty on my part. And I was up. it was a great opportunity for you. How could you not take it? And you know and there was KISS had a big part to do with it, to be honest with you. I mean it was KISS had it's amazing how you have these signpost bands in your life, but Kiss were definitely a signpost band for me because all along my life, they've just been there in one form or another. 
um, in good for good and bad. I mean, I've had some experiences with Gene that I'd rather pretend never happened. And I've had experiences with Gene that were some of the best in the world. And Paul Stanley is one of my favorite people on the planet. I, I, I love the guys, you know, Tommy, Eric. Um, it's it was a little bit of it had to do with Kiss. And I don't mind telling that story. We had Metal Edge had the contracts through the KISS tour programs, which yep. most big, big KISS fans know we did tour programs for them. And there was a tour. And again, Jerry was the executive editor. I was the managing editor. So the way things worked, and she this is where this is where there started to be a little bit of tension. She would send her articles to me. The minute her articles got from LA to New York, I was in charge. So she she dictated ultimately what went in the magazine. She never if I told her I wanted to do something on Marilyn Manson, she would never say no. But ultimately, she made the final decision. But the second the articles got handed in, everything was on me. I did all the editing. I did I supervised layout and everything. We were doing one of the Kiss magazines and there was a Peter Chris. She you know how Jerry used to love talking to family members and everything. There was a caption for a Peter Chris photo. And it said something about Peter and his estranged daughter and how they don't talk anymore. And I called her up and I said, Jerry, this is bad. I don't think we should. I think we got to cut this. Keeping in mind that several occasions that I can remember, artists have called me from L.A. and gone, hey, Jerry was at a show last night, took a picture of me with a girl that wasn't my wife or girlfriend. Do me a favor. Make sure I didn't want to tell her, don't take the picture. Make sure the picture never sees the light of day. And Jerry would send the picture in. I would just pull it out when I opened the FedEx. When the magazine comes out, she'd go, where was that picture? I go, oh, that and just pretend it got lost. You know what I mean? I mean, that happened quite a bit. <laughs> the Peter thing, she and I had a big back and forth on because I said, this just isn't cool. It's not relevant. We shouldn't do it. I was always more about the music and less about like the gossip. And I understand the gossip built the magazine, but it was, you know, at this point we're in the early 2000s. Um, I actually went to the owner and said, hey, Alan, I'm button heads with Jerry right now. I want to make it very clear. If this comes back to bite us in the ass, this is not on me because I cannot imagine Peter. I Peter does not have a temperament where he's going to think this is cool. And Alan was like, duly noted and he called jerry and he goes jerry paul just brought it she goes it's my magazine it's my decision alan said looked at me and he goes paul you heard her that was it i said fine just, as long as it's not on me and gene literally the minute the program came out peter threatened to quit the band gene basically called our called the owner and was like that's it you're done you're losing your contract you're doing everything which led to a huge Alan scrambling to do whatever he could to save the KISS contract, because that was a big deal for us, uh, which led to Gene saying, here are the rules. Jerry never talks to anyone about KISS again. The only person that's allowed to write about KISS is Paul, blah, blah, blah. And on top of that, Peter wants his own cover, which then got into a thing, because I was on the call also, and I said, I won't do a Peter cover unless you give Peter permission to admit he didn't play on the Psycho Circus record. I said, I... I have too much. I have too much credibility to do a Peter cover without, without being able to at least ask him a hard question, and you give him permission to give the right answer. And Gene, this was a time where he respected me, and he said, "I appreciate that. I will give." You. And we actually went to breakfast when we did that. Uh, Gene, Tommy Thayer, me, Peter, and I think Alan was actually there also. And I asked Peter the question during the interview, and Peter just looks at Gene, and Gene goes, you can tell him the truth. And I'll, I'll never forget, Peter was, he was just like, 
Peter said he record. He goes, I know that I recorded drum tracks for all the songs, but I also don't know that they all appeared on the record. And it was a very diplomatic way of saying, mm, no. no, I wasn't on Sex Circus record. <laughs> but yeah, so that, that incident right there was a huge part of Jerry ultimately leaving because that was one of the places where she got... The, the, and I hate to say the power because I never tried to unseat her. It was never like that. But that was an issue where she really butted heads with Alan so hard and cost him money that he was he started looking forward a little bit. Well, and what 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 was the end game for her to move, go through with something like this? You know, I, I don't. I, and again, I wish. I really, really wish. I, I'm a huge, huge proponent. I manage bands now for a living. That's what I do. Um, and I, I, I navigate band drama all day, every day. I mean, and there's just, there's so much of it all the time. And in the midst of all this, one of the things I, I get really friends with Sebastian, we talk about Skid Row reunions never happening or happening. Who knows? One of the things I'm really set on is life is too short. You know, we're starting to lose a lot of our, our heroes, a lot of our icons. Yeah. And it's like, do you, do you want to, do you want to die with just bitterness and misery? I'm like, no. And like, Jerry was a huge, huge, huge part of my life. I mean, she was literally one of my best friends for all the years we were at the magazine together. And I, I think it's just foolish and absurd that we can't, like, put the past behind us at this point. You know what I mean? And maybe it's easier for me to put the past behind me because, you know, I went on a trajectory that she didn't go on after that. You know, she she kind of left music after that, and I took it in a different direction in music. But... I would love to not have that weirdness. And people ask me probably the most, one of the two most asked questions I get from people in general, Metal Edge readers, is what happened to Jerry? Or have you talked to Jerry? And it's just like, I, I wish I had a good answer for him. I, I don't, you know? Paul, Paul let, me, let me ask you, was, was Metal Edge, how it was laid out, the format, the 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 essence of it was that all jerry's initial vision or was that alan's vision that he found jerry to execute on because and why i ask is because you know even looking back now it ran completely different from every other magazine at the time every other magazine was major article major article major article where metal edge had some major articles but had a lot of what you would be used to seeing on the internet now. A lot yes. of facts, fast tidbits, reality photos, behind the scenes stuff, which nobody else was doing in print except Metal Edge. Now, yeah, I mean, listen, I was a big Metal Edge fan and I've got nothing against Jerry. I don't really know her. I may have had one conversation with her. But, you know, it got to the point where it's like, oh, there's another picture of Jerry backstage with this band and Jerry with that band and Jerry with that band. But it was still cool seeing all of this stuff that was going on around what, you know, the circus, the hit paraders, the rips were all doing, the, you know, the polished, nice articles. This felt real. Yeah, it was. So here's, here's a little bit of trivia that a lot of people don't know. Jerry wasn't the first editor of Metal Edge. There was actually a guy before Jerry that did two issues. Um, now, that said... The magazine, Alan really wasn't very hands-on in terms... Alan took the company from his father, 
his father, when Jerry started, when Jerry, and I say Jerry started Metal Edge because the guy that did the two issues before her, I don't even remember his name and I own the magazine now. So it's like, for me, it's like I, the guy was in, he just didn't matter. You know what I mean? Jerry Miller is Metal Edge, period. And that's, um, you know, it's like, it's trying to like talk about the New York Yankees without mentioning Joe DiMaggio and Babe Ruth. You can't do it. I mean, Jerry was that important to the magazine. I think, and I wasn't there back then. What I can tell you is we had about 15 magazines at Sterling McFadden, which was our publishing company, and they were templated. So you had a Tiger Beat, you had a Black Beat, you had Metal Edge, you had Metal Maniacs, you had a bunch of soap opera magazines. We had all these magazines, and a bunch of them were kind of, I don't want to say cookie-cuttered out, but the, the two artists that did Metal Edge also did... Blackbeat also did Tiger Beat, also did another magazine. So everything started to look the same after a while. And that was that's not an insult to anybody. It's not a criticism. It's just how things work. This was before the day and age of everybody being able to get on a computer. I mean, my six-year-old niece is probably can probably lay out Metal Edge the way we did it back in the day right now, right. because it's like that today. It was a lot of typesetting. It, everything was you needed to know what you were doing, and we didn't have the layout options that, you know, that everybody else had. And also, when you get in that, one of my big criticisms as I took over was that it looked too, like you said, Michael, it was just a little bit too tabloidy. I wanted it to be more of a legitimate magazine because I came from a, and I put legitimate in air quotes, but I came from a legitimate news background. I interviewed Bill Clinton. I was like, I this to me, it's like, and God bless her, because I did not like having my picture taken with bands. But through this quarantine, I've been going through old photos. And I, thank God Jerry got me into the habit of making bands take their picture with me, because I got a lot of great memories for an Instagram page now that I didn't have. Like, it, it was she had a very unique way of doing it. I think ultimately a lot of it came from her because she really she really shaped the way, you know, she. She had a really unique image. I still talk to wives and girlfriends of band members who are, who are like, oh, Jerry was such a great person and Jerry befriended me. And, and I get it. I mean, she, she had a unique perspective. You know, she, she, was, she was kind of, she was there, but she wasn't a groupie, which she, was also she, an important thing. She seems like she was just a big fan of that genre of music, of those bands, which was coming through as opposed to just finding somebody who can be an editor and going, oh, by the way, now you're in charge of metal. And it's like, okay, I don't listen to metal, yeah. but... It was authentic. It was her and life. If yeah. you needed me, if something happened to the editor of Blackbeat, who I was friends with, I can't remember his name right now, if something happened to the editor of Blackbeat, if, if this was today and he got COVID and couldn't work for three weeks, I could take over Blackbeat in a heartbeat. It didn't matter that I don't know about the music. It didn't matter that I didn't know about the culture because I was a trained editor. So ultimately, if you've got the writers bringing stuff into me, I could write about it. Right now, I could write about anything. Give me 10 minutes, I'll write you a Drake article. I don't like Drake, but it's just that's what I do. I'm a, I'm a trained writer. Jerry wasn't. She, she was the fan, and she did. She was a good writer, but she looked at things from that different perspective, and I appreciated that. It wasn't my style. It wasn't what I liked. I didn't feel comfortable with it. And, you know, Marilyn Manson didn't feel comfortable with it. And Korn didn't feel comfortable with it. But it worked for what she did. And I think that, again, that was part of, like, the tension as we moved forward was just, 
you know, Corn, they didn't even want to be a metal band. They didn't think it was cool to be metal because the metal stigma was metal edge. So, like, I had to, like, do freaking gymnastics and somersaults to get Corn to come into metal edge just because I had a relationship with them from before I was with the magazine. So it was like there was all this there was all this like. I hate to say backstage, but backstage for the magazine. We had all this backstage drama. And I think that was when you ask about what Jerry's bigger picture play was, I think part of what happened was she just kind of felt that squeeze coming in. And we all make decisions in our life. And for example, when I got let go from Metal Edge, because I I was fired and I, I was fired on purpose because I knew that if I quit, I wouldn't be able to get benefits and everything. The new owner and I did not see eye to eye. I mean, he just, I have nothing nice to say about him other than the fact that he finally gave in and fired me because he knew I wasn't going to quit. So I was able to take unemployment. But um, you get to a point where you start to stand on principle. And I got to a point where I disliked the new owner so much that I stood on principle. And I'm like, you know what? You're going to have to fire me. I wouldn't take his calls anymore. I had an assistant in New York. I said, if he wants to talk to me, he goes through you. I made it so difficult for him that he had to, he had to fire me. I think Jerry in a lot of ways did the exact same thing with Alan. She was just like, you know what? I'm not going to quit, but I'm going to get my golden parachute and, I'm going to get what's coming to me because I've invested in this magazine over the years. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes, com makes yeah. complete sense. And again, I would love to be able to give you a, this is exactly what happened, but I don't know exactly what happened because she stopped talking to me the minute she quit the magazine. So that was it. <laughs> it, it, it's, it, it seems like she's one of those people who's got a book in her at some point in time. I would have to think she would have written it by now if she did, to be honest with you, because, man, she's, she should have a book in her. Um, I mean, I kept saying that I don't want to write one, and I've, if this quarantine has taught me anything, it's that I have one. I know I, know I have at least two in me right now. Um, so I would think she's got one. She might... I kind of feel like she just distanced herself so far from it that she just might not even be interested at this point. Um, I know she was never, unlike a lot of other writers and rock journalists, she was never starving. I mean, she, she came from a good, strong family background, and I, I don't think she ever had to worry about, okay, if I leave Metal Edge, am I going to have money? So that might also, she might lose her incentive to need to write a book because she doesn't need that, you know, $15,000 advance or something. I don't know. And again, that's just pure projection on my part, but, um... The, the, uh, I, I, I think she would have one. I, a lot of people also, you get to that, do I want to kiss and tell? And I don't mean that in a romantic way. I mean it in a way of, you know, do you want to, do you, do you really want to be the person that tells all that dirt? Because, I mean, I've got a lot of dirt and I'm in a different position. I'm not, I, I'm, I'm easing back into the journalism thing a little bit, literally because of COVID, the COVID, because I've, I have time to do it, but I mean, I haven't been a journalist for six or eight years at this point. And I, there's a lot, and I'll tell stories to people if we're having drinks at the rainbow, but ultimately for me, I don't want, I'm not going to tell people the dirt. I mean, I'm in the business and as a manager, as somebody who manages bands and looks out for them every day and deals with other managers every day, I, some stuff just shouldn't be out there. And that's a you huge keep secrets. Problem. That's part of your yeah. job. Yeah. We have to keep secrets. I mean, we're gatekeepers to a certain extent. And the internet has made secrets harder to keep. But 
I think that just increases the responsibility of not being the person that says something stupid. You know, right. I mean, and I there I kind of feel like Jerry's got a lot of integrity in that regard. And I don't know that she would necessarily write a book where she does make things look bad. Right. Um, but that's just my opinion. So who do you manage right now? I manage Drowning Pool. Uh, oh, who CJ. I yeah, CJ. Yes. Yeah, he's uh, been on. He's, oh, he has been on? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Drowning Pool. Uh, Jason Charles Miller, who does Southern Rock and Country now, he was in Godhead. He was Godhead was right. his band back in the day. Um, uh, I have my first band from the '80s, which I'm very excited about. Hurricane, which oh, is Robert, wow. yeah, Robert Sarzo and Tony Cavazzo. Nice. Um, are, are the two original members in the band. We're, we've got new music. We're actually literally working on new music as we speak. Um, and I have a girl from Vegas who's unlike anything. She has no Metal Edge connection whatsoever. Her name's Dendal. Um, she's a lot more along the lines. I could tell you the names she would want me to mention, but I didn't even know who they were until she told me. She's kind of like in that singer, like Adele kind of category. She's, she's an amazing voice. She plays piano really, really well. She did like last year, she played 200 lounge shows in Vegas, mostly her name's Dendal Hoyt, and um, all the they could everybody could get linked on my Instagram page. Like, there's if you go to my Instagram homepage, all my artists are right there, and Metal Edge is right there too. But the um, I mean, she's fantastic. She writes, she's just amazing songwriter, and it's I'm excited to be doing something that's not rock too. So, for for our listeners that would love to do what you do, manage bands. Tell them a little bit about what it's like to manage bands. What's the what's the good? What's the hard? Tell them, you know, what it's like. Um, I managed my first band in college, and it's completely different. So, I mean, at the local level, um, I'm actually writing. I'm working on a book right now with Perry Farrell. That's actually that's I'm doing that. We're on deadline this week. Um, I'm working with Perry Farrell on stuff now on a book now, and that he's doing and. It's interesting because we were talking yesterday. We were I was at his house yesterday, and we were going over Jane's addiction, like that that chapter of his life. And he was talking about his managers in Jane's addiction. In his first couple managers, he had quote unquote local band managers, and I think that that's the best way to get in because you never know when your local band can become the next Jane's addiction. You never. It's and that's honestly. You've got to learn the ropes, and the only way to learn the ropes is by making mistakes. And honestly, if you're going to make mistakes, you got to make them with young bands because you yeah, can't. Yeah. You don't want to step in and make a mistake with Drowning Pool when there you don't have a lot of room to make mistakes. You know what I mean? I mean, a mistake on Drowning Pool hurts a lot more than a mistake on a new artist that you could recover from quickly, and that is just exponentially easier if you're dealing with a local band because how big a mistake can you make for a local band? So the right, first right. thing, the first thing I would recommend to anybody is just be around bands and be smart around bands. Like notice the things, notice about load in, learn about, you know, advancing shows with promoters, learn what it takes when you get to the venue. And, you know, you don't just go to the venue and get drunk. And I like drinking more than the next person. But when I'm managing a band and I'm at a show, I, I might have one drink, maybe two until they get off stage. You've got to be ready for goes wrong and i think the first lessons you learn are at that local level it's also where you first learn how to deal with the personalities because 
Um, being in a band is like being married to four different people, and that's assuming there's four people in the band. If you're Slipknot, you've got nine wives, which makes it even a bigger nightmare. But yeah. it's part of, at this stage, and like I said, my first band that I managed was college. That was strictly local. That was me collecting money at the door when they would play shows. I managed my first big band while I was still at Metal Edge. I managed Beautiful Creatures. Uh, Joe Lestay approached me, and he liked the model Led Zeppelin had where they had a journalist manage them. And he was like, this is something that I think would work. And he goes, and I go, Joe, I've never managed a band before. He goes, no, but you understand us. You're a fan of where we come from. You're a fan of where we're going. And, you know, I made mistakes with Beautiful Creatures, but they weren't colossal mistakes. And honestly, for, for the mistakes I made with Beautiful Creatures, I also saved them from a lot of their own mistakes. And that's what management is. I also think at that level, I already knew infinitely more than most new managers because I had started in radio. I had done journalism. I was the editor of Metal Edge. I did my stuff on VH1. At that point, I knew more about music than a lot of the managers out there because I was talking to a dozen bands a week, learning all the minutiae. And, you know, that was a big difference between Jerry and I. I'm asking questions about how many how many trucks are there, how are the logistics worked out. I'm talking to the roadies, and I'm talking to the tour managers, and that was what I was interested in. You know, I did, when I was at the Milwaukee Journal, I did a whole thing on the Janet Jackson tour because she had 13, she had 13 trucks, and we wanted to know what's in the 13 trucks. Um... And that that's all part of the process for management. But I think at this point, once you're at the point where you're dealing with, you know, bands like Drowning Pool and bands that are established, a lot of it is the psychology of holding a band together. Because yeah. no matter who the band is, they have problems. You're the caretaker. Well, so then tell me this. Let's say you have someone watching that wants that's interested in, in doing what you do. Can you tell them from a local perspective if 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 you start to get around the bands and you you find one that you believe in and you're like, gosh, I'd like to give this a shot and manage. What exactly does a manager at a local level do? What kind of stuff should you be willing to do to kind of help out? And first and for today, yeah. Every- Manager, and uh, there are exceptions. You know, Andy Gould is one of my, I won't even say one of, he's my best friend. He's like literally my best friend on the planet. And Andy Gould was a guy that when I was at Metal Edge, I couldn't even get close to him. I put, he was Rob Zombie's manager, Pantera's manager, and he was so untouchable in the hierarchy of management, in the hierarchy of music, that as many covers as I put his artists on, he still didn't know who I was if I walked into the room because he didn't care. It was his publicist's job to worry about me, not his job. And we have become like he's family to me at this point. He were that close. So when you're Andy and you're in your 60s, everything's a little bit different. But, you know, I'm pushing 50. I have to know I have to know social media. The first thing I could tell anybody today is if you're going to manage a band, you need to know the ins and outs of Instagram, Facebook, Spotify, Apple Music. If you don't know the inner and outer workings of all those things, and part of the reason I had I had several eye surgeries uh, about five, six years ago, and I pulled off of social media because I didn't want to share that publicly. I didn't want people to feel sorry for me. I pulled off social media, and it was one of the greatest things for me because that that burden of 
that that obligation of having to share was lifted just, and I was just like I just was just like oh and I'm spoiled because my my wife is very good at keeping up with people so it wasn't a situation where I was like all of a sudden I fell out of contact with the entire universe you know yeah. um in the last <laughs> months I like you know what I have to come back on again I mean and a huge part of it was drowning pool you know drowning pool we we have we just signed a very very big record deal it hasn't yes. been yet but yeah it's and i'm like you know what i need i need to be able to ramp your stuff up because none of the guys really had a strong um instagram presence so you know they have 2.2 million fans on facebook and we can play that and we know what we're doing there but i'm like i gotta learn this instagram beast because no one in the band really cares about it that much and that's not a bad thing none of them are totally into it it's my job so I literally started with my personal Instagram account and just started obsessing over it. You know, how do you get people to start? How do you get new followers? How do you how do hashtags work properly? What are the best times of day to post? Like all this stuff. Then I relaunched the Metal Edge. I launched a Metal Edge Instagram. I shouldn't even say relaunched. And I really started figuring it all out. And then I relaunched the Drowning Pool Instagram. Um, knowing social media is critical at this stage. It's, if you can't do it, you can't manage because that is honestly 85% of promotion. Um, second to social media, you have to understand digital streaming. If you don't understand Apple Music and Spotify, watch, watch videos and learn. Because if you don't understand, if you're going to sit here and say, oh, we need to make CDs, CDs, CDs work for certain reasons, but the entire business right now revolves around streaming. So if you don't understand streaming, and you don't understand those models, you need to learn those models. Um, those are the most important things. Okay. So those, yeah. are, those are 1A and 1B. And I would say 1C or 2 would be live booking and understanding the relationship that bands have at the local level between their clubs and them. So, you know, in developing and harnessing those relationships. Because honestly, if you can't do it in your hometown, you can't do it anywhere else. Everybody thinks, oh, well, I have... I have so many Facebook followers, so we're going to – that doesn't work that way because okay. Facebook followers Facebook followers don't translate to people going to a show. Instagram followers don't translate. All that stuff doesn't translate the way people think it does. So you really need to learn the local market, learn how to get your band on shows, have relationships at the club. You know, your relationships – and sometimes that's as easy as just when you go to – make sure – and I know this is going to sound stupid – Make sure you tip waitresses and bartenders well if you go to a club or not, because if you don't tip them well, they're going to talk shit about you. And if you ever have a position of authority, they're not going to treat you well. Always be nice to security guards. Always be nice to door people. I mean, those are the people before you even get in the venue. Those are the people that can make your life miserable. And, yeah. when you, you know, when I managing Drowning Pool, when they're playing the whiskey, I don't ever have to worry that they only have a 10 or 20 person guest list, because if I ask Mike from the whiskey, he's going to go just whatever you need. Don't worry about it. It's about having those relationships and carving those relationships out. And you don't carve those overnight. You carve those over time because people respect you. And that was honestly one of the huge lessons I learned leaving Metal Edge, because I knew I knew I was going to lose a lot when I left Metal Edge. But you don't realize how quickly everybody forgets who you are the minute you're not there anymore. The minute and, they don't need you. Or they don't need you, exactly. Interesting. And in a lot of ways, it was it was a hard it was a hard lesson for me to learn, 
fortunately i was a writer and i wrote for i had like i wrote for um the hollywood reporter afterwards i had little things i did that kept me in the game but it was rough for me moving back into the business because you know i didn't have those relationships that quite frankly i should have had i knew the publicist really well but i never went out of my way to get to know the people outside the publicity circle so when it was time for me to go and try to get a job at a record label and try to make that next evolution that I wanted to make career-wise, I didn't have the contacts. So it was like I was starting all over again. And then I was also at a bad time because a lot of the publicists I had great reputations with were losing their jobs because everybody was downsizing because magazines didn't exist anymore. So it was like, you, it's really important to harness relationships and it's really important to be nice to everybody. And it's... It, it sounds stupid, but that's like the number one most important thing. You know, my, my wife always would say she makes this point all the time. You never the person you see on the way, the person you're a, a jerk to on their way up, they're going to be a jerk to you on your way down. She puts it a lot more eloquently than that. But but that's like, I mean, ultimately, you've got to be nice to you don't know when your assistant's going to be your boss. And that's just the yeah. way this works. You know, who would have ever known that? Looking at the Ozfest lineup from 2001, I would have ended up managing four bands on that bill. I would have never known that when I was an editor at Metal Edge, but I did. It's like, wow. So, so everybody, yeah, and basically you're saying everybody, everybody matters. You've got to take time to talk to everybody. Yes, and that is that's great I, advice. It's and again, right down to the smallest person. Because I'll tell you what, when. When there's, when there's a problem with a guest list, and there are always problems with guest lists, it's, they're the easiest thing in the world to get right, and they're never right. And I can tell you that as a manager, because without fail, I could have the most ironclad guest list on the planet, and CJ's going to hit me up six minutes before they go on stage and go, oh, I forgot to tell you, my friend's at the door and can't get in. And I'm just like, oh. And I'm in LA, they're in Oklahoma City, and I'm trying to figure out how do I get somebody in, because you waited till six minutes before you're ready to go on stage. But it's all, those relationships are the most. And you know what? I need to be able to text message the promoter and go, sorry to bug you, dude. Um, my guitar player is a jackass. Um, can you grab somebody at the door and pull him in? Absolutely no problem, Paul, blah, 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 blah. And that's, that's, those relationships mean everything, everything. And when, you're, when I'm at the Whiskey, if my name's not on the list, I'm getting in anyway. You know what I mean? Because they all know. I'm not, I'm not trying to talk my way in. If there was a mistake, there was a no. mistake. It's, but that's again that but that's part of those relationships. And I think that's a piece that a lot of the younger people miss or don't understand because we're in such a text heavy world. They don't have the skills to work on building those relationships. It's I actually have a problem with it. Like it's it's funny because I'm I will talk to anybody and I and I think because I appreciate I appreciate kind of the I mean, when I was the tail end of metal, not the tail end of Metal Edge, but when I was doing Metal Edge in New York, that wasn't the tail end for me. When I was doing Metal Edge in New York and I was doing VH1, that, I, I, that was my quote unquote high profile because I was on TV all the time. And it was very easy to get dismissive. It was very easy because, you know, it's, you know, you're walking through an arena. You're trying to get to, like, I'm trying to watch Queensryche and people keep walking up to me. Oh, you're the guy from VH. And it's just like, oh. But when you're not doing that anymore, you you have a whole new appreciation for it. So, you know, like now if I'm on Shiprocked and some guy comes up to me and says, you're Paul from Metal Edge, 
he literally, somebody posted on my Facebook page, I'm sure you don't remember me, but we talked for two hours on Facebook and I'm or on, on Shiprocked. And I'm like, I'm not going to lie. I don't remember you. But the minute I looked at his picture, I clicked through, looked at his picture. I remembered him completely. I'll sit and talk to anybody forever to the point where my friends hate me for it. But <laughs> it's, you know, that's what it's about. You know, it's, it's, we're a community and, you know, bigger picture, getting all kumbaya. I've been spending a lot of time with Perry Farrell, so I can get very kumbaya if you want me to. But, you know, <laughs> it's it's not just our little rock world. It's the world in general. It's just like be good to each other. You know, I mean, we don't we're not here for that long. And ultimately, it, it it's a lot harder to be angry than it is to just smile at somebody and go, man, that person's a son of a bitch. But smile at him and walk away. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just it's and that's it's a that's, great attitude. Those lessons are universal. I mean, they work in any business situation. Just be nice. I think think what people in this social media world day and age need to remember is a Facebook friend, a Twitter follower, an Instagram follower is not a friend. Right. That you don't have a – well, let's put it this way. For the most part, you do not have relationships with any of them to the point where – just because they're a friend, you can't send them a private message and going, hey, can you do this for me? Can you give me this? Can you take care of this? They don't know you from the man on the moon. You've got to, and this is what I tell all my, my clients, the artists I work with, is like, you know, before you hit up that music supervisor blindly on Twitter, maybe you should spend three months following them and getting to know who they are and have just conversations with them. And then they know you. So when you do yeah. reach out to them, maybe something's going to happen. People assume a, a, a social media friendship is real, and it's not. There's no reality to it. And now look, I have I have very real friends who don't even follow me on Instagram. I mean, it's just like, and that's the thing. And I think the other thing we need to remember about social media is we all use it for different reasons. We just lost Tommy. Tommy. <laughs> Tommy. Oh, he's back. Okay. He's back. I'm back. <laughs> I'm like, great, I'm having eye problems again. What <laughs> um, the uh but that's the other thing. It's like everybody uses social media for a different reason, you know. Um I I know that Instagram isn't made for word limits. Okay. You're not you're supposed to post a picture and get out. I five times a week push the character limit on Instagram to the final character because I don't I'm using Instagram for how it works for me. And you know what? If there's 1500 people that are on Instagram that follow me and 50 of them appreciate that. I'm perfectly happy with that. It serves a purpose for me. It makes them happier. I'm not trying to use it the same way that Chris Jericho is using it. You know, Chris Jericho has got millions of followers and he's using it to sell, sell, sell. I'm not, that's not my goal. So we all have different reasons and you know, you can't take it personally. That's the other thing about social media. You just can't take it personally. We don't, my my own wife doesn't see half my posts because she follows 4000 people on Instagram. It's like I, there's there's only so much, you know, it's it's just social media. It's not life. And that's I think yep. I know how to use Instagram. And I think I have an account. I think what? I did it twice. And I think I've had it for like 5 years and I have no idea how to use it. You know what, Lisa, you should post like hummingbirds and hamsters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, cuz I get a lot of followers for that. Uh, I've got a couple people that post those in my in my feed, and I'm just like, and they're, they're like really good friends of mine, and I'm just like, I have to click that. I, I have to click yes to the turtle you just posted, because otherwise you're gonna be like, why didn't you like my turtle? But I'm just like, really, you gotta post a turtle? <laughs> yeah, but you don't know the backstory of this whole 
thing of the hummingbirds. And the, oh, okay. Well, and about, about, a, about a year ago, Lisa was recording an episode with us, and she was outside, and she swore to God she was going to be attacked by a hummingbird. It came right at my eyes. They don't believe me. They don't it. it came right here. Freaked out. Freaked out like it was Godzilla attacking her. Say that again, exaggerating. They're exaggerating. They made it seem like I was going. No, I just went like this. No. Don't believe them. Just tell them you just watched the birds the night before and you were scared, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. See? <laughs> the best thing is, got stuck in the cabinet, so I couldn't join the show. So I had to get out of the cabinet. Oh, good lord. Reach for that chip. So, 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 so Paul, I, I'm fascinated by all of this business talk. Yeah, me too. But. but I can tell you right now, our KISS listeners are going to be like, what the fuck? This is a KISS podcast, you <laughs> assholes. Start talking about KISS. Yeah, so, give us some scoop on so, the KISS. So, so let's go back. When did you become a KISS fan? What, what do you, when do you first remember seeing KISS? I'm going to be honest. I don't remember first hearing KISS. I can't tell you when I heard KISS for the first time. What I can tell you, my first memory of Kiss is going into Caldor's department store, and I was about 10 or 11, going into Caldor's department store, and for the first time in my life, buying a record with my own money, and that record was alive too. And that was that is literally one of the most vivid memories I have. I remember picking it, like finding it. I remember picking it off. I remember being afraid that my parents weren't going to let me buy it because Gene Simmons had blood coming out of his mouth. Um, I honestly, and I know this is going to sound really bad, I don't remember what it was that got me into Kiss. Now, the interesting thing about my upbringing, which I've been pounding on on Instagram because my bands can't play live, so I write a lot. Um, the I've been writing a lot about my childhood and how I got into music and I did not grow up in a family of rock fans. So, like, my mom didn't like the Beatles. She loved the Beach Boys. She loved oldies. Kiss was never on in my house. My dad didn't know music at all. He didn't care about music. And I was... Where did you grow up? What? Where did you grow up? Connecticut. Okay. Sorry. Continue. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, um, I don't remember how I got into Kiss because... I, I went in my school. There weren't kids that listened to Kiss. I because I, I know I was the kid that liked Kiss. It must I must have seen them on TV. I must have seen something. Um, but all I know is I needed to get that Alive Two record, and I, it's so bizarre that I I wish I had a better. Hey, this is how it started. But I was literally obsessed from the beginning at that point. I mean, it was, I, I don't remember what it was that made me say, you need to get that record. But I remember buying that record, and that was the start of the obsession for me. I was like 11 years old. And, and what do you remember about the first time you played Alive 2 then? God, I, I remember just, it was larger than life. I remember opening the gatefold, and I, I, I've, I'm so romantic about Final. It's insane. I remember opening, and I still have that album. I could pull it out. It's sitting right here. I made sure my Kiss albums were accessible for this. I have the actual <laughs> album I bought, and um, I, I remember just opening the gatefold and putting the putting it on on my cheap little, probably Fisher Price record player, and hearing it start and just imagining this is what it was like to go to a concert. 
like this, like looking at that gatefold opening with the firework, like that's what it went to go to a concert. And that was my fascination with music started right there. It was larger than life. And I wasn't, I wasn't a huge rock guy. I loved Kiss. Um, I somehow got into ACDC. I know how that happened because there was a kid in my school who had an older brother. So I got into ACDC. Um, I got into Ted Nugent because the bully on our street um, had a Ted Nugent jacket. I thought it was Ted Nugent because I didn't know any better. Um, but I, that's how I got into Ted Nugent because I was like, this kid keeps throwing rocks at me and my friends when we ride our bikes. What's Ted Nugent? And you had to, back then, we had to like research. You didn't just like go online and type Ted Nugent. Oh, cat scratch fever. Oh, he's a Republican. Oh, I hate him because I don't like his political beliefs. Back then, you were just like, what, what is this? You know what I mean? It was just like, what's Ted Nugent? So you had to like actually go out of your way and you had to go to record stores and look. And you had to, you know, my parents would go to the department store and I would just sit and look through records because I was fascinated by Ted Nugent. Free for all. I bought the free for all record. I didn't even know what Ted Nugent sounded like, but I bought that record because I had to know because he looked like this Tarzan wild man. And to this day, to this day, his politics don't bother me in the least bit. And he's one of my favorite people on the planet. I just, I love him. Um, we, 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 re- we recently had him on the show here and it was, he, he gave us a 90 minute nonstop interview. Fascinating. Just, we sat, we sat back and just let him spew his rock and roll musical yeah. history. Yeah. It's, I mean, the guy, he's just, he's fat. I've been, I've, I've been, bl- I mean, I've been blessed. I have so many great stories, but I, I was at his house in Michigan, um, where he has a Gibson-shaped pool. Um, the first time I ever saw Kiss, Ted Nugent opened for him. So it was like, yeah, but that's how I got into music. It was literally, I was an observer, and I was seeing, okay, um, that kid, and I was always nerdy and dorky, so I was like, well, the cool kid likes that. So if the cool kid likes that, I wonder what that is. And I just kind of explored things that way. And it was, I didn't have an older brother or an older sister. Um, my My... My brother, I have three younger brothers and sisters, and the one right below me was the best man at my wedding. And he gave, I, I start crying if I think about his speech because he gets into this whole thing about talking about how, like, he first heard Metallica with me and blah, blah. blah. I was just like, ah! like, the whole thing. Um, but I didn't have somebody that taught me all that. You know, what I did have was a mother who loved music. She performed, she was in theater, she loved the oldies. So I grew up with an appreciation for Motown. I grew up for, now it's interesting because this this connects back to Kiss. Um, I was interviewing Paul Stanley at one point somewhere and I made the comment that, I mean, basic, and I said to him, basically, you guys are, I said, dumbing it down, you're a Beach Boys and Beatles cover band with makeup. And he goes, and he was like, you know, you're the first person that ever really called me out on that, but you're absolutely right. And, and I knew that because I grew up in a house with the Beach Boys. I mean, it was just like literally when you listen to those early makeup albums, you could tell what Kiss were listening to. And um, I just kind of evolved into it. And Kiss was just like I said earlier, they're just one of those signpost bands that at every point in my life, they were there for some reason. The first time I ever went backstage at a show, it was a Kiss show. Um, I was doing radio at the time, and the DJ, the the radio marketing person at Marquette, uh, the radio marketing person at Mercury got me in because I did the metal radio show at Marquette University. So what show I got was it? what? What show was it? 
That was the revenge tour. That's that when I went. That's when I went backstage for the first time too. Uh, I was working at the radio station. Awesome. Yeah, that station. Yeah, at the station. Yeah. I was. I was just my little dinky college radio station, but I did the metal show, and what that metal show meant was, you know, we had very few listeners because it didn't barely broadcast outside or thing. but my friends would come down we'd bring a six pack of beer we couldn't bring beer into the dorm rooms but we'd bring a six pack of beer into the radio station because nobody was watching us and we'd drink beer and play music for three hours and half the time i always took the latest shift and they would do shut down you know i'd have to like play the national anthem off and then we shut down for six hours but the great thing was i could just play for six hours if i wanted to it was they would there was no and then i would literally make my reports up for mercury records like i would just be like okay the mercury girl's nice to me so i'm gonna i'm gonna make sure I, that i say i played the screaming jets more than i really did and boom 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 i i'm i'm, I'm laughing paul because i have that exact same experience i did college radio in 87 and you know the college station was broadcast over carrier current which meant it was through the electrical system of the dorm no you could have done better. <laughs> you, 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 somebody plugs in a hair dryer and it distorts the signal for everybody. So <laughs> nobody was listening to us. But I had a weekly two-hour metal show on Saturday nights, end of the end of the air broadcast on a Saturday night. We just go in there. Nobody gave us. Here's how you need to act on radio. You can't do this. You do this. We just went in there and started playing. Whatever the shit we wanted, we talked about whatever. I remember we did an actual show once where we played Kiss Alive 2 entirety and acted <laughs> like it was a real concert that we were at. <laughs> I mean, and, and to, to your point of we'd sit there and play music all we wanted, as long as we wanted, and that, yeah, I would, you know, the, the, the promo person from Chrysalis or, or Atlantic or whoever it was, yeah, they got me tickets to go see Rat. Oh, yeah, I'm playing Rat in high rotation, and you want me to report it more for you? Great, no problem. Exactly, exactly. It was like in Cheryl Valentine. She was the she was the college radio rep at that point. And Cheryl, like, I, you know, she sent me Ugly Kid Joe. I, I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. Ugly Kid Joe, Screaming Jets, Mind Bomb, Kiss, Def Leppard. I mean, all this stuff was Mercury Records. And... I also, that was where, I mean, I got my journalism chops in there too, because because of radio, I met a lot of these guys. So I had the contacts when I got into writing, which also helped me, you know, it just, it kind of, cause I actually didn't start, I, I stumbled into journal. I stumbled into rock writing. I, that wasn't, that wasn't, uh, that wasn't my ever in my intention to do that. So, but yeah, it was, but that was, uh, I forgot what, I, I usually I'm good at reconnecting with where we started. We, we, but, we, yeah, we, I, we, we were talking about you went backstage, it was the Revenge concert. Yeah, and, yeah Revenge, yep. And, so uh, so what, was, what was it like see, meeting Kiss? Was that the first time you'd ever met them? Yeah, oh yeah, that was the first, and Paul didn't come back, which I broke my heart. Like, Paul didn't come back. Um, Eric, Eric, it was Eric, Bruce, and Gene. Um, first one backstage for mine, it was just it was just a uh, Gene and Eric. Yeah, no, it was Yep, yeah, it was Bruce. Bruce was there, um, and I, I know this because I wrote a term paper in college about it was called From Hard Rocks to Heavy Metals, and it was about music. And I actually brought the term paper to have them sign. And yeah. over the course of time, I had a bunch like Ozzy signed it, so I've got this term paper signed by Ozzy. Gene Simmons, and all these different people. That's great. Yeah, so it's uh, the uh, 
and I brought, I was all proud of myself because I didn't want to ask, I didn't want to ask Eric to sign a record he didn't play on. And I brought the Badlands record because I wanted certain stuff. It was like, I planned this thing out in my head and I didn't, I didn't know the routine of getting pulled back. Completely prepared. I was prepared. I was like, I got this. I got this. Yeah. So. And then it goes nothing like that. <laughs> and it goes nothing like that. No. And I didn't realize I was going to have to miss half a great white to go see. To, I'm like, wait, I got to miss great white to meet kiss. Okay. I'll do it. But man, that sucks. I kind of wanted to see great white, you know? Um, but yeah, that was, it was, that was it. I, I just literally put that up on Instagram a couple weeks ago. So there's a picture. It's a picture of my friend, Dan, in me who were literally there were three long hairs at Marquette University 14,000 students three of us had long hair and I think all three of us had longer hair than the girl with the longest hair at the school it was a very preppy conservative school and um Dan and I it's Dan and I with Gene Simmons that's that was like um but yeah the, so, uh, so what what do you do you remember like you know when you first met him was it like oh my god that's the demon that's the guy with the blood I'll be honest with you. It was less intimidating meeting him without makeup on than it was ever seeing him with makeup on. And by that point, by the time they did, by the time I was friends with him, like Gene, if I saw Gene, he was, you know, I'm not going to say we're friends like we hang out, but he knows who I am. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I've had phone calls from Gene before, back when I was at Metal Edge. He would just, I would get, it was, it is. It got to Wait a second, I, Wait, Paul. I have, to, I have to ask you a quick question. When he would call you up, what would he say when you answered the phone? Mr. Would he say, "This is Gene Simmons of Mr. Kiss"? I was gonna say, did he say "of Kiss"? Mr. Gargano, <laughs> Mr. Gargano. Nice. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, Please go. And I can. Yeah, Craig Gass does a lot better than I can, but like, because there's another Gene Simmons that sounds like that, right? Oh, I know. Right. <laughs> but the. Uh, but yeah, so it's like even when I got to know Gene, it was still there's something really fucking intimidating about the demon in the makeup with the cape with the whole thing. And I've done photo shoots with the band. I've done I've done more photo shoots than I can count on one hand with the band. And it was still there was always that sense of intimidation when Gene's got that makeup on. And I get it. He turns into a different person. I mean, he he literally more so than all the other guys. Gene becomes a character at that point, because I don't really think I'm not one of the people that buys into the fact that Gene puts on a front. I think Gene is I think Gene is actually might be the most genuine one in the band because he is who he is. I mean, period, end of story. Yeah. I don't want to say he's the most genuine in the band because that's not fair because the other guys are very genuine. However, a lot of people, a lot of especially big fans, want to believe that Gene isn't the way people say he is, but he really is. I Gene mean, he's doesn't just, have a filter. He has he, no yeah, filter. Yeah. He just says what he wants to say. Yeah, and and he's he's very smart. He's He's smarter than anybody gives him credit for being. Um, great memory. He's yeah. Well, well look, we would. Uh, and again, I don't. I don't have. You don't drink. You have a great memory. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just, if, you know, once once you get to the point you have three or four drinks at night, you're forgetting people's names. You know what I mean? When you meet them, it's just kind of like uh, Gene. He he remembers what he needs to remember. You know, and I, I I have as much as he has made my life miserable at times, and as much as. I've, he literally, I, I hated him so much at one point and hates a strong word, but it fits. I hated him so much at one point that I actually could not listen to kiss anymore. And just literally just was like, 
fuck this, I'm done. That's it. You know what? Now you have to tell the story. Well, I was going to say, so can you tell us why? You have to tell the story. Yeah, you can't go there. It was um, in one good story. He did, um, Gene did a solo record called Asshole. Yep. Yeah. Which I'm sure we all remember. And this was when I was getting along really well with Gene. Like, I mean, literally... Gene, Gene took me backstage at a Boston show. I just found a picture from this show the other day. Gene took me backstage at a show in Boston. And after the show, he's walking me through his line of women going, Mr. Gargano, take your pick. I, I can't possibly, I can't possibly have all of them. Take your pick, anyone you want. And I'm going, Gene, I got a girlfriend. It's okay. No, no, no. But, but she doesn't have to find out, Mr. Gargano. Blah, blah. Ladies, this is the editor of Metal Edge magazine. Blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, like, just I sat at a blackjack table and watched Gene hit double down on 18. He didn't even hit. He doubled down on 18 and fucking hit. Hit. Like, screwed up everything at the table. He ruined, but he won. And it's like, I've sat and played blackjack with him. I've had such good times. But this one time in particular, coming out of all that, he the asshole record was coming out. He was doing a CD release party at the Key Club, which no longer now it's an urban club, um, a hip hop club. I don't know what we're allowed to say now or not say, but it's a I think it's called One Oak is what it's called now. Um, he he called me. This is one of the times he called me, and he's like. Um, he, he made it, and I kind of messed with him a little bit because he made it sound like he was doing me a favor. And he goes, as you've heard, I've got this, I've got, because everything's epic with Gene. As you've heard, I've got this album coming out. Da, 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 and I'm going to be doing a party, blah, 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 blah. And I know, you know, I, I, I could admit that you're more in touch with the kids, like, you know, meaning like the Manson Corns and the Static X's and all that. You're more in touch with that than I am. I don't need your help getting the Janie Lanes and the... Bruce Kulix to show up. I need your help with some of the others. So he's like, I, I have a proposition for you. He's like, if I will give you an unlimited guest list to my party. My one request is that for every guy you invite two girls. He goes, I want to see, I want some of girls that are your age there. I want blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, no problem. So I said to him, Gene, you need me to do you a favor. And I'm, I'm fucking with him. Gene, you need me to do you a favor. Oh, no, I'm doing you a favor, Mr. Gargano. No, no, Gene, you need me You need me to fill your room. You need David Draymond to come, and you need me to call him for you. Well, no, I'm doing you. I'm doing David Draymond a favor. And he was laughing. I mean, it was like a big joke. So I'm like, absolutely no problem. I put this list together. Um, and it was my dog's about to start barking, so just brace yourself. Because uh, I think the wow. mailman. Yep, mailman. Um, so he, uh, so he, um, he, I do this list and it was, I think I had about, I probably had about 20 guys on it and about 40 or 50 girls on it. It was probably like 60 people on the list and we're there. It's fun. It's like a good time. He's got his VH1 reality show, following him around and doing his thing. And I've got Wayne static with Wayne stat. A couple people really wanted pictures with Gene. And one of the things I said to Gene was, of course, we'll do photos with all these people because it'll be great for Metal Edge. I could do pinup of like, you know, Gene with Wayne Static, Gene with Sully from Godsmack, Gene with David Draymond. And he was like, of course. He goes, I don't do anything if I don't get publicity. And I'm like, OK, we're fine. He was he was in Gene mode that night and he was in asshole mode that night. And there were 
guys were getting frustrated because they wanted to do that picture and they didn't want to stick around all night. And Gene basically was pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. Guys started to leave. Guys were just like, yeah, I'm just leaving. It's not worth it. No problem. Thanks for inviting. And they weren't mad at me. They were just like, it didn't mean enough of them to stick around to, you know, they had to get home, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Wayne Static worships Kiss. And Wayne is one of the biggest, well, I should say was, God rest his soul. Wayne was one of the biggest Kiss fans on the planet. And, like, I have, I ran posters in the magazine of Static X in Kiss makeup one. Kiss makeup with Star Trek shirts on. Like, they huge, huge fan. And he want, he needed to meet Gene, needed to meet Gene. And I said, Wayne. And I was very, I was very close with Wayne. I was like, of course, you'll meet Gene. Don't worry. Gene was refusing. Gene, every time Gene would be like, and he would just shrug me off, like, give me, and he had the VH1's cameras around him. And he would just keep shrugging me off, shrugging me off. And I'm like, Gene. Do me a favor. Can we just um, can we just uh, can we just get a quick picture? I just want to get a quick shot of you. I want to introduce you to Wayne from Static X. He's a huge fan. This was all on camera for VH1. Uh, he's a huge fan. I would love to just get a shot of you. Introduce him. Boom, boom, boom. Mr. Gargano, and he does this with his hand. He does this dismissive, like Mr. Gargano. And he goes, Paul is the editor of Metal Edge. And he, apparently he thinks now is the time to work or something like that. And I'm like, no, Gene, I don't. I just want you asked me. You asked me to have some of these people come to the show. I want to introduce them a few of them to you before they have to leave. I never made no such request. And at this point now I'm like, and I'm, I'm a, I, I can be as big a dick as he can. And I'm like, I said, what, what are you talking about? And he's like, I, I never said no such. I never asked you. And I go, Gene. Excuse me. And at this point, I was on VH1 too, so I'm hamming at that point. I'm like, you called me and asked me to get bands that are in Metal Edge to come to this party, and I had a guest list at the front. And he's like, I, I, I know no such conversation. He goes, and I had like a tequila in my hand, and he goes, it's the alcohol speaking. I can smell it on your breath. And he was, and at this point, and then I'm like, Gene, what? And and I was like pissed, and I wasn't gonna make a huge scene, and I go, Gene. What the hell? I go, I'm not. This is the first drink I've had all night. And he goes, it's the booze. And he keeps doing this. And then I go, Gene, you're full. I said something like you're full of shit or something. And he turns. And then he turns to VH1, the guys. And he goes, turn the cameras off now. And then he was just like, I'm not doing a photo. I, I, I have nothing to gain by being pictured with these people. And he was a dick. And he literally, he made Wayne static. He made Wayne Static feel like a six-year-old that just wrote all over his parents' living room wall. I mean, it was just like, what do I gain by being in a picture with this guy right here? I don't even, what kind of name is Static? And I was just like, oh, you, f and I just, at that point, I was like, I literally disavowed Kiss at that point. I was done with the band. I wanted nothing to do with them. And I'm like, that's it. Like, I literally, I never needed to see them again after that. He literally poisoned me that much for the band. I mean, it was just like, um, and it lasted for a while. And then, uh, however, you could do the math. I don't know the exact timeline. Paul Stanley did his Live to Win solo album. Right. Okay? A couple years later. A yeah. couple years later. It was a couple years later. So this lasted a while. This wasn't like six months. A couple months, okay. a couple years later, I get a phone call from, I believe it was Universal who put the record out. And I get a phone call going, hey, um, you're a Kiss fan, right? And I'm like, it's kind of a loaded question. I'm like, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I was a Kiss fan. They go, what do you mean? I'm like, I mean, I'm like, Gene can rot in hell. But other than that, I'm like, I like the rest of the guys. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, 
I, and I, you know, I have relationships with all these publicists, and they're like, well, here's the deal. Um, Paul Stanley wants you to write his bio for his solo album. And I'm like, oh, hell yeah. I'm like, I'll do that in a heartbeat. It's a solo album. So I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. And I had, like, it was one of, like, on one hand, I can count all the great, like, like mem- interviews that I remember. That interview with Paul was just fantastic. That was the, op- that was the chance, that was the time where he told me, he goes, I've, you've ne- I've never really been called out on the Beach Boys Beatles thing, blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't like I called him out. I was just like, this is, I hear a lot of that in Kiss. And he goes, absolutely. Yeah. So we had, like, a real, we had a really, really amazing conversation. And I just, at the end of the conversation, I said to him, um, Paul, I just have to tell you, I said, I, I've got to gush. I've got to be a fan for a minute. And he goes, absolutely, blah, 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 blah. And I go, um, he goes, there's nothing wrong with being a fan, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay. And I do a worse Paul Stanley imitation than I do a Gene Simmons imitation. But um, I told him, I said, I literally, you guys were the most important band to me. You were the most important band to my development as a music fan and everything. And I said, I got to be honest with you. Gene is such a dick that I can't even listen to the band anymore. And I go, I, I go, I, I want to thank you because I could tell you after this, we were on the phone for about an hour and a half. And I go, after this conversation, I think I'm going to be able to listen to Kiss again. And I want to thank you for that. I go, I know that sounds odd. I know that sounds weird. But I, I, it's really good to know that I can listen to Kiss again and not have him ruin it for me. And he goes, Paul, thank you so much for saying that. And he goes, I just have one thing to say. And I go, what? And he goes, the world's got enough assholes. I don't need to be another one. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's amazing. Oh, was <laughs> the world's got enough assholes. I don't need to be another one. <laughs> that was like, but, oh. <laughs> well, that's funny. But I was like, it's, it's, and you know, it's, and I'm, I'm, I'm over the whole, and it's, it's interesting now because now again, I manage now. And I have yeah. a completely different perspective on Kit, on even Gene than I had before. You know what I mean? It's just you're depending what you do, it shapes the way you look at things. And you know, I would if if I saw Gene now, I would I would have nothing but nice things to say to him. And if we talked for thirty seconds, eventually I'd be like, "Man, you were a dick to me." That's that's CD release. Paul, how 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 how, how did you resolve things with Gene? How did I that? Never had to. I never really had to resolve things with Gene. That was, um, I don't think I had to. When did Asshole come out? I don't want to get, I don't wanna get under, When did Asshole come out? And Because I, I was gone from Metal Edge at that point, so I didn't have to resolve. I don't think I was. earlier than that. What? I was going to say like 2003, 2002. I was gone at Metal Edge already. So I wasn't, I wasn't Metal, I was... I don't think I don't let's put it this way. I don't recall a feature on asshole in Metal Edge. So if I don't recall an asshole feature, then and when I say asshole, I'm referring to the album, not the bass player. When when I say I don't I don't recall <laughs> the fact that I don't recall the feature means it probably wasn't while I was at Metal Edge. So and I was actually for for a while I was higher profile after I left Metal Edge than I was at Metal Edge because I was writing for the Hollywood Reporter, which was syndicated through Reuters. So like anything I did got syndicated worldwide. So for a while there, I still had the relation. I still had some of those relationships. Two thousand four. Two thousand four. I believe I was out. No, I wasn't gone from Metal Edge yet. I was not gone from Metal Edge yet. Hold. I'm muting you for one second. Hold on, because I'm going to yell to my wife. Hold on one second. All right. 
All right. She, she's, she's great with dates. I'm not. I left Metal Edge August 2005. Okay. So never really had to resolve that issue with Gene because it never came into play. It just wasn't, it wasn't a factor. But, yeah. but, but, but as just on a personal Kiss level? Kiss might have still been covered in Metal Edge in that time. I just let other people do it because I had no interest. So, but even on, on a personal level, you, nothing ever happened to resolve that? I mean, you're fine with Gene now, other than I, you know that this happened? I, I had to have seen him since then. I mean, I can't imagine I haven't seen him in that long. No, I, here's the thing. Like I said earlier about Jerry, I, I, life's too short to harbor grudges. Sure. I mean, Never. really, yeah. um, there, there's, I have no ill will. And again, that's Gene being Gene. You know what I mean? At some yep. point, at some point, if I'm going to let that bother me, then what what does that say about me? You know what I mean? That's Gene being Gene. I think I would like to think that at this stage, Gene would at least respect the fact that I go back at him and I'm not a pushover. Doc has told me before, like I did a photo shoot with Kiss and Gene was Gene was intentionally, mind you, blocking Peter's face with his cape. Blocking Peter's face with his cape. And I'm like, Gene, can you lower your hand, please? And he's like, no, he wouldn't lower his hands. And Peter was literally, he was blocking Peter because he was the, 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 the cape. And I'm like, Gene, you're blocking Peter. And Peter's like, Gene, move your fucking cape. And, 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 and Gene, at that point, Gene's becoming like an obstinate child. You know, I'm not going to. And I'm like, and Gene, he's like, Mr. Gargano, just take the pictures. And I'm like, I can't take a picture if you're blocking your drummer. You're not Rush. You're not a three-piece. Mr. Gargano. I, I don't tell you how to take photos. You don't tell me how to take... I don't tell you how to write articles. Don't you tell me how to take photos. And I'm just like, oh, Jesus Christ, here we go. And it's like, I'm like, are we really... This, we're going to have one of these right now? And it was really funny. And, he, and I go, Gene, I can't do my job if you don't move your arm. And he goes, Mr. Gargano, I've been taking pictures since you were sucking at your mother's tit. And I, and I, go, and I go, Gene... I've been taking pictures since you were teaching kindergarten and didn't even know what Kiss was yet. And literally, and he, he just kind of like flares up a little bit. And then Doc just steps in at that point. And Doc goes, Gene, put your fucking arm down. And Gene <laughs> grudgingly put his arm down. Doc even said, he's like, you don't hear a lot. A lot of people don't go back at Gene. They just don't do it. And I've just... I'm, I can be a dick. I, I'll, I'll go back at you. I don't care. You know, it's just, and I think he respects it. And I think it's, I was just going to say, I think he does. Yeah. You go yeah. back at him or like mess with him. He yeah. laughs and he kind of respects you because yeah. and I think don't put him on a pedestal, you know? Yeah. And, and he's look, he wants you to always know that he's Gene Simmons from kiss. And he wants you to always know that, Look, I'm bigger than you. I'm the demon. But at the end of the day, it's, I think he respects it a little bit. I have, mm -hmm. I don't, I might have seen him once since then, but I don't. I don't recall. I've seen Paul a couple times. Um, I. I didn't even. I haven't seen the last Kiss tour. Um, no, no disrespect to the guys in the band. I love Tommy and I love. Um, I love Eric. I have. I have absolutely no problem with the fact that they're touring without Ace and Peter. Um, again, I manage fans for a living, and there comes a certain point where you have to go. You know what? The bands are a bit, it, we don't need you. I mean, and, and ultimately with Kiss, here's the deal. And I tell this to people all the time. That's not really Kiss. Yeah, it is real Kiss. To be honest with you, it's real Kiss. Here's the deal. 
Um, and I, I'll lay it down to people like, you know, if someone brings it up to me at the rainbow, I'm like, look, hypothetically, and I'm just I'm making up numbers here. I'm not saying they're accurate. Let's say Kiss could make three hundred thousand dollars to play a show without Ace and Peter, or they could make four hundred thousand dollars to play a show with Ace and Peter. And I'm making these numbers up, but I just want people need to understand the amount of money you've got to pay them. You're probably not making that much more money anyway by having them in the band and ultimately the headaches that they yep. give you aren't worth, worth it. it and yep. you know what i'd rather see kiss play for the next decade with eric and tommy than not have kiss at all because ace and peter are impossible to deal with and that's You've been it. saying this forever been saying this all you know i i don't and again some people get it, some people don't. But Jason Miller from Godhead, the reason Jason's a solo artist right now is because there were members of his band that had chemical problems that made it not worth him being in a band anymore. And I said, dude, just go solo. Like, do you really need to do, do we really need to worry about a, a band member getting arrested and for having pills in his car? Like, it's not worth, and no matter, it doesn't matter if you're big or small, you're always dealing with that. You know, Drowning Pool, they, Unfortunately, they're known for having had four singers. But the yeah. reality is, you know, what do you do? Do you first of all, the first singer dying wasn't their fault. Right? That was right. that was a complete fluke of nature, literally a fluke of nature. The second singer was horrible. All right. He wasn't horrible when he started, but he got lazy, he got sloppy. And I remember seeing him and telling the guys, you gotta get rid of this guy or you're gonna ruin your band. Like there comes a point where it's not worth your ego starts to override business. And you know what? This is still a business. And as far as Kiss goes, I guarantee you they're making enough money without Ace and Peter to not need the headache of Ace and Peter. That's my personal opinion. Well they tried it once. And you know that's you know? And here's the thing. The shows are already on sale. They're not, you can't renegotiate by having Ace and Peter show up and play for shows that you've already, they've already been paid what they're getting paid. So they, if you're going to do Ace and Peter, you announce it up front so you can get more money from the promoters. You don't wait and then surprise people with Ace and Peter because you're leaving money on the table. That's yep. just bad business. So it's like, ultimately, I have no issues with it. And I think it makes total sense from a business perspective. I love Ace. I love Peter. Um, I just think, obviously, there's a lot of headaches. There's a lot of baggage there. And you know what? They kind of made their bed, and they got to lie in it now. And if Ace can't get paid enough money, if he if he's going to insist he's worth more, they'll do it with Tommy. That's it. You know? And I was reminded of the temper tantrum Peter threw on stage at that show where he trashed his drum set. Um, yep. You know? These guys, I've, I've interviewed. I'm As far as I know, I'm the only person on the universe that has shot an entire kiss show from start to finish from the photo pit not like from the crowd i shot an entire show from start to finish everything every gimmick everything and i've also interviewed all four original members and i don't know of anybody else that's done both those things and i can tell you from when i interviewed all four original members the animosity in that band is just i mean the bitterness and it's not, it's not necessarily from Paul and Gene to Ace and Peter. It's from Ace and Peter to Paul and Gene. I mean, there's resentment and there's bitterness. And the reality is those guys didn't make it easy through the 70s and 80s. And you know what? 70s more than the 80s. You know, you, you, that Paul and Gene kept that band together, period. And they, right. you know, they, they deserve a bigger piece of the pie at this point. That's it. You, you know, I, 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 I've shared this story before, Paul, but... 
It was the, the final show in the U.S. on the farewell tour. That's one where Peter destroyed his, his drum yes. kit. And, yes. and I remember, because I was working for KISS at the time, so mm -hmm. I remember after the show, I'm backstage, and Gene and Paul come out of the dressing room, Ace and Peter come out of the dressing room, and keep in mind, we all knew, at least we in the, in the internal team knew this was the final show. Yeah. And two guys walk off this way, and two guys walk off that way. There, it was just like nothing had happened. It was, it was, yeah. as a fan, you know, the, the fan in me from 1976 was sitting there going, wow, this is kind of sad to just yeah. see these four guys, two of them go this way and two of them go that way, no hugs, no yeah. fist bumps, no thank you for, it was just, we're done. But you know what? And again, from a, from a business perspective, and again, I have a different, I have a different, I see a different side of all of it now because I know, I know, I know things that we can't talk about, you know what I mean? And I'm not just talking about Kiss, but like, you know, I, I couldn't, I had eye surgery over Thanksgiving and I couldn't be at the final Slayer show. And um, one of the things my wife, she was texting me from it and she was just like, she thought it was very, she, it was remarkable to her. Like Tom and Carrie couldn't even look at each other after that show ended. Look, this is not an uncommon, this is not an uncommon thing in bands. Um, it, it's not uncommon at all. And people, people need to realize, you spend that much time around people, you start to build up this bitterness. I mean, that Eagles reunion tour was called Hell Freezes Over for a reason. They said hell would freeze over before they would get back together. And, you know, there's, there's many, many stories out there about bands who, they have separate dressing rooms, they don't see each other until they get on stage. Just put the differences aside and be, be business people. Play the music we want to hear. And that's kind of how I feel about it. Eric and Tommy. Look, I mean, I don't want to say Eric's a better drummer at this point, but Eric's a better drummer at this point. And I don't want to say Tommy's a better guitar player, but Tommy's a better guitar player at this point. You know what I mean? It's just like you're getting, you're getting a true Kiss show with those guys. And the other guys kind of made their bed. And again, doesn't mean I love them any less. It just means... They don't have the bargaining power that they think they have right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, I, 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 as a fan, and, and as a fan, knowing what I know, and as a fan, I have to think, and this is, I have no insider information on this. I'm just saying, from a business perspective, I can't imagine they would be done forever without doing one huge with the final lineup somewhere. Like, whether it's, whether it's Madison Square Garden, like what's the most shows that anyone's ever played in a row sold out at Madison Square Garden? Not like Billy Joel's doing it now where he goes once a month, but like is the record three nights in a row? Kiss will do four nights in a row at Madison Square Garden with the original. I just find it hard to believe they'll leave that money on the table before walking away. Um, and I'd like to think it will happen at some point. I don't think it needs to be a whole tour. The way, or maybe they do Vegas, you know, maybe you do Vegas. Who knows? But I think, I think we'll see it. I just don't think now's the time. I mean, that's just my personal opinion. And that, again, that's just my no insider information. I don't talk to anyone in that camp. It's just my gut, knowing what I know about how the business works, and man, knowing how much money there is to be made by pay-per-view, by Vegas, by all that stuff. Yep. I find it hard to believe they don't do it. I agree. I agree. So was, 
and 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 we're we're approaching an hour and a half already here and and trust me when i say this feels like a conversation that could go for another two hours but i don't want to tie you up um this was your interview with Paul Stanley when you did the bio, was that probably your greatest KISS fan moment? Oh, I mean, my greatest KISS fan moment is this right here. I don't know if you can see it. Yep. That's the issue of Metal Edge, um, August 2000. This was the issue of Metal Edge where I, the cover shot is mine. I interviewed all four original members. It's a 20-page KISS feature. It's literally a 20-page feature where I interviewed all four original members, and every photo throughout the feature is my photo. So on stage, off stage, it's hands down my single proudest KISS thing. Now, I could look. I have problems with it. I have problems with the quality of the paper we printed on. Some of my pictures look darker than they really should have been. I don't. Sometimes the layout annoys me a little bit. But that is hands down my proudest kiss moment because I mean, how many people can say I did a twenty page I did a twenty page kiss feature for the one of the biggest rock magazines in the world? Um, I shot every photo and I did all four interviews. I mean, that's that to me is just a huge, huge thing. What was the right. you know in in interviewing all of the guys? Do you remember one moment where you had sort of a like holy holy shit? I never knew that. I just learned something. They confirmed something. Did you ever have a moment like that? Not really. And the thing about Kiss, the thing about Kiss. Now it's. In, and I'm going to flip back a little bit. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. Perry Farrell. I'm doing the book with Perry Farrell right now. So I'm. I'm a big Jane's Addiction fan. I love Jane's Addiction. I'm learning things about Jane's Addiction because. Jane's Addiction weren't one of those fanatical followers. They didn't have, like, of course every band has their fanatics, but I loved Nothing Shocking. I loved Ritual de la Vitual. They were huge albums for me when I was in college. We didn't have the internet. We didn't obsess. We just knew we wanted to see the band when they came live. I knew what Lollapalooza was. I knew what it meant, and I wanted to go to it. Kiss fans know everything. Like, at this... There's so little out there to learn about a band at this point. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I don't think there was ever a, wow, holy shit. I, hadn't, I didn't know that. And I don't think it's necessarily, I, I, you could very sarcastically say, or seriously, if you want to say that's laziness on my part. But as the way you do interviews, there's an art to doing interviews and there's a way to doing interviews. And, you know, you're always trying to get something out of an artist that they haven't said before especially when you're dealing with someone like Gene Simmons or Ted Nugent, who they're so dialed in. It's just like, it's like an infomercial when they start talking. I don't have any real, um, holy crap, I didn't know that moment. Um, I really, really loved talking about background with Paul. I really loved getting that insight into like where he came from musically. Um, he is hands down my favorite member of the band. I mean, it's not even, I, early in the quarantine, I was just literally, I would look forward to his videos where he would come out. I don't know if you guys saw them on yep. Instagram. It was like, I mean, just literally, I mean, he's just, he's so amazing. Um, the, what I do remember more is honestly, and it, it shapes you. I remember Ace and Peter just bitching nonstop. I remember Ace just literally throwing something at the wall, telling Gene, shut up, I'm trying to do an interview in here. Like, I just, I remember just like the cattiness 
more than I remember any fact about the interviews. And that's like where you, you notice that stuff and you go, wow, you know, this is unfortunate. It's, it's not um, it's not surprising to me that they aren't doing the tours when you see behavior like that. And again, that doesn't take away from how I feel about them. It's just, you know, from Ace and Paul's perspective or from Gene and Paul's perspective, how much more money do we need to tolerate this when Eric and Eric and um, uh, why am I, Tommy, thank you. Why do Eric and Tom, Eric and Tommy know their roles? They play them perfectly. They don't give us lip. We don't have to worry about someone showing up late. We don't have to worry about any of this. And it's just like, like that was my big takeaway, honestly, just that, man, there's a lot to deal with. And I remember walking away having a real appreciation for Doc McGee and real, a real appreciation for the behind the scenes, what managers go through, because, you know, you're holding more shit together as a manager than anybody ever knows about. And you know, agents have really hard jobs. You know, they gotta they gotta make rocks bleed sometimes booking shows, and it's not easy routing tours. It's not doing any of that. But I'll tell you what: from a manager's perspective, on any given day, a tour could fall apart because one guy gets pissed at another guy and says, "I'm not going to go on the road." And it's watching behavior like that, you gain a real appreciation for what goes on behind the scenes. Um, you know, and if I if I if I end up doing a few of the things I'm thinking of doing journalism wise moving forward, Doc is a guy I would love to sit down and have a conversation with yeah. because there's just, there's like, you know, you're not going to get a lot of new stuff out of Gene at this point. There's just not a lot of new stuff to find out. I mean, look, we're all big Kiss fans. Is there anything you're dying to know? Because there is stuff I would love to know. A lot of it's more behind the scenes stuff, you know? Um, you know, I would love to go back and like have some people tell me the truth about what they think of some music, because like, and not just Kiss, like a lot of bands. Like, what were you thinking when you wrote this? Did you think, um, you know, uh, but that's, that's not fair and that's not real. As, as, as a journalist, do you, when you're dealing with somebody like Gene and Paul, do you approach an interview going, you know, here's a couple things I would love to really ask them, but I know they're never going to give me the truth. I'm going to get the Kiss spin. I'm going to get the Ted Nugent spin. I'm going to get the Motley Crue spin. But do you always, every once in a while, try and throw one of those questions out there in the hopes that they felt comfortable enough that you get that ah uh -huh answer? And, and, you, and you do get them. And those are, like, I can tell you the, the best interviews I've ever done are the ones where, and there's definitely an art to doing an interview. Um, it's a lot like... It's a lot like dating. It's like meeting a girl. Like like the the, the stage you go through because you got to start off with the flirty questions. You got to like ask that question. Like you know you got to ease them in and make them feel comfortable before you try to make it to second base. You know what I mean? It's like and you can't you know you can't just go in with the hard hitting question. You need that. You know um, you need to develop that rapport and it's very important. You know Perry. I was talking to Perry earlier because I canceled. I was supposed to go to his house today and I canceled that for this and. I was just telling him, hey, I, I totally forgot when I made these plans with you. I have something on the schedule already. And he made a comment to me. He's like, oh, my God, Paul, do it. But he made a comment to me. He's like, I'm so happy to be able to call you a friend. And it's interesting to me because ultimately what you're looking, you're trying to develop that friendship with people. And not necessarily, 
I'm very lucky because over the years, I had an opportunity to see people over and over again, and you do develop friendships. But even in the course of an interview process, what you're trying to do is make someone comfortable enough where they can give you an answer that you haven't heard before. And I can tell you people I've done that with where they flat out told me, Trent Reznor, um, he's one of the most guarded people there is, but throughout the course of it, he begrudgingly did a Metal Edge interview with me because I promised him a cover if he did it. And I'm a huge Nine Inch Nails fan. It was one of the last covers I did. Um, he was amazing. I mean, fantastic. And he started off really guarded. But once he realized I was a fan and once he realized, once I referenced a few things, you got that guard comes down a little bit. Um, Maynard Keenan from Tool in a Perfect Circle is another one. I've interviewed him a couple times and he, he can make Gene look like the nicest guy in the world. But... <laughs> You know, you ease into it. You ease into stuff with Maynard. And I, I asked something about Maynard because I'm not a big fan of either one of his bands, but I've heard that on so many occasions. Is that just who he is as a person or is some of that persona? I don't know him well enough to say this is how he is as a person. Okay. What I can tell you is his persona Extent, I've seen him in social situations outside of music, and I think it's who he is as a person. He's not a jerk. If you want to talk to him about wine, he'll talk to you about wine all day, as long as you're smart enough to talk about wine, because he has his vineyards. Um, I think I think it's put on a little bit, and I think also, much like Gene, when you're dealing with Tool, it's a larger than life persona. I mean, Tool, it just, it's at a point where he doesn't, he can, he can build that hype up a little bit more when you're dealing with Tool because the other guys in the band like doing interviews. He really doesn't have to. Um, I had my kind of come to Jesus moment with him was on a perfect circle where we hit it off really well on a perfect circle stuff. Um, I've never actually interviewed him about Tool. I've only interviewed him for a perfect circle. But, you know, he's, he's a tough interview. He's a tough nut. He's just, he's very guarded. It's a, it's an aspect, and I think that's also a sign of the times. Though he came up in the '90s, and a lot of those guys just this wasn't press wasn't part of what they were in the game for. Gene knew from the beginning you have to be good at this. John Bon Jovi has to be charming. All these guys, you have to be good at press. And if you're not good at press, you're not going to make it. Well, tools of that generation where they don't have to be good at press because if they don't want to do press, it doesn't matter, you know. And um, they have their fans. They have their fans. Period. And that's it. And honestly, press became less and less important as Tool got bigger and bigger. So they're at the point where they don't even need it. Um, but I think it's—I think it is a bit of his personality. Um, but I think it's overblown a bit in that in those circumstances. Okay. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Oh totally. Was that a cop-out answer? <laughs> no, that was a great answer because it's like I don't know either, and and it's like that's some insight because it's like it's it's just like anything else. Because, you know, we interview a lot of musicians and I do a lot of photography for bands and and you meet these different guys. And he's one of them I haven't spoken to before, but I've taken photos of and I've heard those things. And I'm like, well, I wonder how much of that is a put on and how much of it is 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 it's actually really him. Here's, here's everybody loves to ask me. Um, and I'm not I'm not saying this because you didn't ask me. I'm just, it's just it's relevant to what we're talking about right now. A lot of people love to ask me, what's the worst interview you've ever done? OK, and it, at top I have. Easy answer all the time. Fred Curry. And everyone's like, what? Really? Fred, well, here's, here's the crazy thing. Here's the crazy thing. I interviewed Fred Curry on the arcade record. Okay? Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. I was in college. It was the arcade record. 
Stephen Piercy wasn't going to do an interview for a college newspaper because Stephen's too good for that, right? So mm-hmm. I when I knew I couldn't, I specifically requested Fred. I don't think Fred was doing a lot of press for that album. I think, you know, for the most part, he did what he had to do. I got him on a bad day. He, it was literally one of the worst. Now, here's the other thing. I was a college journalist. I, I didn't have but 10, 12, 20 interviews under my belt at that point. I didn't right. know what I was doing like I do now. Now, if I sit down with somebody, I could sit down with the most aggressive bad interview on the planet. And I'll, it's a challenge, and chances are I'm going to break them because I, I just I know how to do it. You know what I mean? I've been doing it for 30 years at this point. Like, Fred, I didn't have that level of expertise, if you will, with Fred. And I literally, I hung up the phone on him at one point. I, I was just like, you've obviously got better things to do, and so do I. Boom, that was it. And I ended up using, like, quotes from the press release. And I actually... That was one that stuck with me for a while to the point where I would do Cinderella stuff and I would not refuse to talk to Fred Curry. I was like, I don't even want to talk to him. Nope, worst right. interview ever did. Don't want to talk to him. Fred and I became friends and we laugh about that story now because he's like, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that I was a dick. <laughs> 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 yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Like now I would love to interview Fred. You know what I mean? But like I went out of my way as much as I love Cinderella, I would go out of my way not to interview Fred because I was like, nope. I, What's the nope. What's the point? Paul, this has been fascinating. Um, Will you please come back? Yes, yeah. definitely. We want to have you come back and, you know, share more stories. Um, because And you know what? My husband just told me that he went to a concert with you and Rich Ward. Yeah. Um, when was that? Van Halen? Sam and Dave tour. Sam and Dave tour. Him. In Atlanta, right? At the amphitheater in Atlanta? Yeah. Yeah, well, I remember that. Susan McDowell. And with Susan McDowell, too. Yes, yep. Yep. Um, I think, is it right here? Hold on. No, it's not. I have the backstage pass for that concert is stuck on my... I just, <laughs> <laughs> the... Um, the backstage pass from that concert is stuck on my Apple computer that I had at the time. And I've literally been trying to dig up all these old photos. I've been looking for one photo in particular, and it's killing me that I can't find it. It's a photo of me and John Mayer. And I know that sounds retarded that I'm bothered this much by it, but I can't find where this photo is. And I literally last night was up until four in the morning going through, pulling out, finding plugs that worked on computers, trying to go through hard drives to find this photo. And one of the computers has that backstage pass stuck to the front of it. It's that from that Atlanta show. That's really funny. See? Small world, right? Small world, yes. Yep. So, 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 Paul, and it, do and you... Here's why. And when, when I said Lisa at the beginning, one of the pictures, there was a picture of you and I from the Metal Edge party, where we took a picture together at the Metal Edge party. I think that was the first time I met you. And I was just so bizarre. When you pop up on this thing, and I'm going, what the... I just saw a picture of her... 10 hours ago on my computer. How crazy is this? Again, small world. Yeah. <laughs> Paul, Paul, do you have anywhere you want to send fans to? A management website, a band, or whatever you want to be plugging right now? This is your Gene Simmons moment. Sell. That's right. It's, I, my, right now, I've basically been doing everything through Instagram. Um, I have my Instagram, I have my Instagram page, which is just, it's very easy. Mine's Paul Gargano. And then the Metal Edge one is Metal Edge Magazine. 
So they both, if you go on the bio page for either one, they link to each other. And if you go to my Paul Gargano page, it links to all the bands I manage. Um, the, that's honestly the easiest way. And I'm really good. I respond to people. I'm on Facebook too. I don't really look at Facebook. I'm on Facebook all the time because my Instagram posts to Facebook, but I, I lost control of my feed because I just, any, any reader that sent me a friend request, I said yes to, and there's just so much on there. I don't even, I don't even look at my timeline. I only look at my personal timeline on Facebook because I, I, it's just lost the plot. I mean, it's all people sure. bitching about <laughs> politics that I don't want to hear about. And yeah. And, and I'm just, I'm just, yeah, I just, so I don't even look at the, whatever it's called, the feed in Facebook. The easiest way to keep up with me is Instagram at this point. And Perfect. it's also fun. If you appreciate Metal Edge, you'll appreciate what I'm doing on Instagram because I'm writing. So it's oh, the metal one. right now I'm in a, I'm doing the entire month of June is a different band every day. So it's a different band from the eighties every day. Like, Last night I wrote about who did I write about last night? I don't even remember right now. Uh, God, I don't even remember who I wrote about last night. That's how like brain fog I'm in right have, now. Have, have you have you written anything about Ron Keel? He was our guest last week. I have not done Keel yet. No, I have not. Uh, this is gonna bug me. I gotta look. Hold on a second, because this is gonna drive me crazy now. I'm like, well, how do I not remember what I wrote last night? Um, but so on the Metal Edge page, I do right now, it's all for the most part 80s bands because I want to get back. I want that core audience to really yeah. yep. get comfortable. And then next month in July, I'm going to do the 90s. It's going to be a different 90s band every day. And um, hold on, because this is going to, I'm, I'm right there now. What was it? Yesterday was LA Guns. Okay. Yes, I, I, I write about a song every day. So yesterday was LA Guns Over the Edge. The day before that, I did Madeline from um, Winger. I did Bon Jovi, Never Say Goodbye. Every day is a different one, and I write. I just write whatever comes to me about that song. That's the Metal Edge page. Then my personal page is more like personal stuff. Like, you're going to see stuff about the Grateful Dead on there. You're going to see stuff about John Mayer. You're going to see stuff about, you know, old pictures of me when I was on swim team in high school. It all ties into music somehow, but it's not strictly Metal Edge stuff because I, I do more than just Metal Edge. It's so awesome. I, I link them both. Awesome. Paul, Paul, thank you so much. I, I, I love this conversation. As Tommy said, yeah. we got to have you back and we can keep yeah. talking again. Yeah, just yes. I, I love I love doing this. And I've got, you know, there's always hopefully there's going to be stuff on the horizon to talk about, too. I've been talking to people like I think I mentioned earlier, you know, we bought Metal Edge. So yep. we own Metal Edge now. Um, when did that come about, Paul? What? When did you buy Metal Edge? When was this? It was probably about five years ago, and okay. it was we we had we had a we had a big vision at the time that just kind of got derailed a little bit because I went through about five eye surgeries in five years, and I'm perfectly fine now. I can see well, everything's good, but it was you know I, I was literally for two years I was off social media completely because I really I wasn't supposed to be using my eyes much, waiting for them to heal right and everything. So we kind of like when we bought it, we had a certain thing in mind, and then that has kind of shape shifted over the years. Um, we have every issue of the magazine drum scanned, so we are going to be able to basically offer digital access to every issue. Oh wow! Nice. Um, we I really really want to start a podcast with it. Um, I'm loving I'm loving doing the writing now, and like I said, it's I have the time to write now because 
a big part of management is when your bands are on the road and my bands can't be on the road because of COVID. So I've got a little bit more time to be able to write now. Um, but in the end, like down the road, I'm not going to be able to do that. I mean, it's just when I've got three bands touring, I'm not going to be able to put aside time to write every day. I feel like a podcast is a much better thing for me because as you see, I can talk a lot. So yeah. Just pull people. Well, and I, up until this year, I've shot about 200 bands a year. So if you ever need content or you need anything, just reach out. I'm more than happy to share. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I'm having fun right now just going through old stuff of mine and just realizing, God, I forgot I even had that. You know, just like, well, yeah. Just it's stuff great. Like, and you forget. It's like, man, photo shoots with Slaughter back when Tim was alive and photo shoots with Janie and Warren. And it's just like, and I also like this because this is, I've been kind of out of touch with a lot of the bands from that era because. You know, I, I worked at Century Media Records, which is a metal label, so they weren't doing a lot. They weren't doing stuff with, you know, there was no place in their world for like 80s rock bands. Right. And then right. You know, I went into management and I've wanted I've always wanted to manage more of those bands. But you know, Hurricane is really the first opportunity I've had. And I'm convinced that came about just because I stalked Robert. So every time we just we have similar <laughs> friends, we became friends. And every time I'd see him, I would just like corner him about how awesome I'm on to you is as a song. And it just finally got to the point. I think it was funny when they finally were going to reunite. He called me. And he's like, "You're the first person I thought of." And I'm like, "Yes, totally. Let's do this." But it's it's nice because the metal edge thing is helping me reconnect with a lot of people. Like, you know, it's nice to be able to, you know, see see Eric Turner's name all the time and see like a bunch of these, you know, even Stevie Rochelle. I've, you know, it's just like all these people I haven't really been in touch with for a while. You know, you know, a funny hurricane story going back to college radio. They were one of the bands that I because Enigma was taking care of me. And mm -hmm. they, they got me backstage to meet Hurricane on the Striper tour. I was playing Hurricane all over the place for Enigma. <laughs> all the time. You're like, I'm playing it constantly. <laughs> exactly. They started in medium rotation. They're now in heavy rotation. We're doing a feature. It's yeah, it was it was great. No, it's so uh, that's that that was college radio. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it, it it was that moment as a music fan where you discovered Holy crap, I can get free music and free concert tickets. Right. right. Yeah. Amen. Anymore. Well, actually, I don't want to say it's not that easy anymore because some of the some of the um, requests I get just for like drowning pool are pretty, you know, you go to the website, you get you know, it's like someone someone does a YouTube video, you know what I mean? Like they have their own talk show yeah. and it's got six views. And I'm like, really? Come yep. on. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of, that's part of my thing too. It's just like I feel like we need to do more to create good content, and that's part of the reason why I'm like I'm really inspired to do more with Metal Edge now because I just feel like we need more. There needs to be a platform out there to publicize music better, and I think that's part of the problem. They're just, you know, no disrespect. There's a place in the world for somebody starting out on YouTube and having six viewers, but that shouldn't be the stuff that we're anchoring band's time with you know what i mean that's right, right. there's time and the place for all of that there should also be a place where you could go to and get exposure at a pretty big level yep. and, well, and we you know even when we started this we didn't know if 100 people would watch or one person right. and we built it over time we didn't get ted nugent and alice cooper and all these folks who've been kind enough to give time to us until we built and learned and got better yeah so, and then they added so, me then they added and then it all went south. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> then, then, then we ended up dealing with hummingbirds and hamsters. Yeah. <laughs> I don't then know. Then it all went to shit hamsters. right from there. <laughs> I don't know. 
Yeah, and by the way, hopefully the next time we talk, I won't have this beard. But I swore I wasn't going to shave through. I expected this to be like a three-month quarantine. I was like, okay, I'm going to do a quarantine beard. Because my oh. beard before this was a road beard. I was out with Drowning Pool for nine weeks. So I'm like, oh, I'm not going to see my wife for nine weeks. I'm not going to shave. Does your wife like that beard? She hates it. She hates it. No, it's like. I you keep it. What's wrong with you? It's, Don't you know the wife? Now, here's the problem. I don't know if any of the other guys can relate to this because everybody, well, not everybody. Tommy doesn't have facial hair, but it's like you get to a certain point where you're like, wait, I've never had it this long before. And it's it starts. Oh my God, you don't sit there and play with it, do you? And make little doohickey. Oh God. No, I don't. I try not to. Your wife must lie. There's times where you do, but it's like it's kind of like when you have long hair. You you end up playing with it sometimes. But it's so funny because I was like, oh, this will be two or three months. That's it. That'll be it, and I'll shave. <laughs> and no, now we're like, God no. Now they're starting to put new lockdowns down. I'm like, oh. Hey, now I'm like Atlanta because we're open here. This is for now. Are you, is there a chance to open up live concert venues and I mean, I, it's, back it's, in business. You have you have concerts there now? Yeah, they just opened up new. Uh, they opened up the concert venues. Yeah. Wow. Uh, live yeah. concert venues. No bars can open with no capacity limitations. Uh, theaters are open. Restaurants no capacity. Wow. Sorry. Yeah. So I know Texas is like that, but they still have restrictions. Cause like we're some of the offers we're getting for drowning pool are just like so low ball because they don't know how many people they can get. And it's just- Yeah, well there, well there is like a scale, like if it's this yeah. much to this much, you do this. But, yeah. and I guess in higher volume, they're gonna do like seats in between. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I don't know. And Sturgis is still happening this year. What is? Sturgis motorcycle yeah. rally. So I just saw that, I saw Jesse said something about that. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. This is this is a real, and I also think just with all the protests, you can't. It's hard to encourage people to go protest. Yeah, don't come to Atlanta for that. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. What, I know what it's like in Atlanta because I've seen. But I don't. And I know there's another California person. Michael, you're California. Yeah, I'm right? up in the Bay Area, San Francisco. Here. Okay, and I think it was pretty rough up there, wasn't it? And we were pretty hairy down here for a while, but. Newsom and Garcetti were encouraging people to go protest. And like, you can't encourage 70,000 people to march on Hollywood and then tell people they can't go to a bar and have a beer. Right. You just can't. Right. It's, it's crazy. Well, I'm in Minneapolis where everything started. Oh my God. Yeah, oh, you yeah. started so the whole was, shebang. Thanks a lot, Tommy. So yeah, Mark, in the middle of all of it. Mark, where are you? Because it looks like we have all the hotbeds here. What the yeah, I'm in Detroit. Oh, my wife's from Detroit. We're in Detroit. She's from, uh, she was Detroit, Detroit, like 6th and Gratiot, 6th and Gratiot. Um, that's where she grew up. Her her mother's in Clinton Township now. That's right. That's literally the next township next to me. Okay. Yep. And her grandmother lives in Warren. I know that we got married there. I know I know Michigan better than I know LA, basically. It's my like, office, a, I own a construct, my, my office is in Warren. Oh, nice. Okay. Yep. That's, so yeah, that's it. Now you have to write about seduce. What? You have to write about seduce now. Um, uh, my wife can't hear me right now. That's her. Literally, that is her. That's her band. I mean, it's just literally. She they should have been huge, man. I love them. Hold on one second. I'm gonna do a yell. Hold on one minute. I'm. She, she can't hear me. Okay. I was gonna yell because no, she is a huge seduce fan. She knows all the guys. Like, can you hear me? I'm. We're talking about seduce. You want to help? She's yelling, I love seduce. <laughs> <laughs> I love seduce. 
<laughs> I, you know, you don't have any chance to know Bill Cozy, do you? No, just I mean, Detroit's everybody. Like, I seem like everybody knows everybody in Detroit. You don't know Bill Cozy. I he's like, he's, he's like one of the best sound men I know. He's cheap trick sound guy. Okay. Um, he's done some work with Drowning Pool. He's like one of my wife's best friends. And there have been nights where there's obviously been alcohol involved where we've been watching seduce videos and he's narrating to me like the entire between him and my wife, like watching like VHS tapes of seduce. And I'm just like, Oh my God. (laughs) They still play like once or twice a year and uh, they pack, you know, they pack wherever they play. And uh, I, I play in a local band and we've opened back in the eighties. My old band used to open for them constantly. And uh, you know, the band I'm in now, uh, we haven't done it in probably 10 years, but when they first started getting back together, we opened a couple shows for them. Just a big fan, you know. I, I, that was another band that... I, she just, she just, she was in the shower. She just ran out in a bathrobe. And she's, <laughs> we, we got all of our significant... Lisa's husband popped his head in. Rika could pop her head in. She just, yeah. she ran out in a bathrobe. That's show. Yeah, you know, well. again, you know that, they, that, that was a band that I... You know, I thought should have been huge, and um, you know, it just didn't uh, like didn't work out. <laughs> yeah. Now, did you bring me that shirt, or did they send the shirts? The seduction? Did you bring me that from one of the shows, the Marlboro shirt? Oh yeah, those that one's cool. I like. That one. She brought it. I'm like, I like. I'm gonna wear a pack of Marlboro cigarettes around. <laughs> oh yeah. So Mark. So Mark from Seduce, because we've yep. been we've been like. I, I'm kind of, I'm like, oh, I would move to Nashville. And like Rika had never been to Nashville. So we were, we were in Nashville and Mark from Seduce gave us like a full blown, full blown all day, all night tour in Nashville, like historical tour. It was like, he was a tour guide. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I'm like, we can move to Nashville now and we can hang out with Mark from Seduce. Like, you don't get to hang out with anyone from Seduce in L.A. <laughs> uh, that wasn't enough of a selling point. No. Hey, that's a hot spot now. Everyone's in Nashville. Everyone's yeah, in Nashville. keep trying. Yeah, everyone's doing Nashville now. Yeah, someone from Detroit is on here. Yeah, so that person's the Ritz and Harpo's. Ritz and Harpo's. Oh, Christ, are you kidding me? Oh, Christ, are you kidding me? World. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. I might know this person. <laughs> What's Mark's last name? Chikini? Mark Tikini. No? She's she'll go, she's gonna go research you now. Mark, Mark, did you meet her at a Ted Nugent concert by you chance? You now, Mark. Maybe you well, made out with her. We probably been at all the same shows. I mean no, I'm sure you guys were at the same show. I thought this for the first time in I think nineteen eighty five at Tracks on Graduate. Did you hear that? Can you hear her? I played at Tracks. I saw a billion shows at Tracks. Matter of fact, we opened for them at Tracks. Wow. What was your band? Yeah. What was your band? My, well, that was my band back in the day. Was called Chain, and we were always opening for them. Tracks and the Ritz and New York, New York and Harpo's. Matter of fact, I just found a couple uh, board tapes from Harpo's, and uh, just been going much like you just said, you know, going through old stuff that you didn't even remember you had. But I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, again, you know, we had such a great scene, and that's the one thing bad about Detroit now. There's no place, because I still play in a band that plays all their own music, and man, we used to have tons of places to play. Now, there's, you yeah. know, you got, it's in one hand. Do you know the Meanies? Yeah. Okay, well, that was Bill Cozy's band. That was Bill Cozy's band, so Bill Cozy was in the Meanies. I'm trying to remember the, god damn. 
You've obviously never been to the Meanie House because I've heard so much about the Meanie House. I feel like I was there. Are you East Side or West Side? East Side. Yeah, I told him Six and Grass. Yeah. And he said, oh, God. Well, I tell you what, you got to be heavily fortified to go there now. Um, that's really, really... Matter of fact, I'm a contractor and I, I work in the city of Detroit. That's probably the... In the, if you want to look at it for crime, that's probably one number one or number two right now. She, she took me to see the house she grew up in, and then she wanted to get out of the car to take pictures. I'm like, you're not getting out of the car. No. That is that is a that is a tough tough area. You know, Sponge. Yeah. Yeah. Vinny, yeah. Yeah. Sponge. Yeah. Vinny, yeah. Um. So. 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 Well, we 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 can we take this back to to kiss for a second. Mark, were you at the reunion show? Hello. Yeah. <laughs> I put it this way. Like I just said, I was a contractor. Was well, still am. I I knew the city guys, and I actually he actually we went to the telephone room when they were rehearsing at Kobo, oh, so nice. I could I could go in and watch for a couple minutes. So, so yeah, I, I didn't know Rika yet. I didn't meet her until I moved to L.A. But um, Rika was at the show. It was a thousand degrees. I, so I shot the first three songs. So I was I shot the first three songs from the photo pit, and then my friend my friend Dan, who I told you about, who was with me when I met Gene that time, he went. He drove. We drove from Milwaukee for the show, and um, I had to go put. They wouldn't let me bring the camera back into the crowd, so I had to walk to my car, which was parked in some like auto body place somewhere. Like I don't like. I was like. I thought I was going to get shot 14 times just coming back from the car. I was I was afraid to let anybody see me put my camera gear in the trunk. I was like, oh, and this was before I was like, this was before I had enough of a name to be able to say, hey, can I leave my camera backstage? And they go, yeah, no problem. You know, this was just like, no, you know, we don't care who you are. It's well, funny because I, I actually paid my friend to videotape the show. And if you remember at Tiger Stadium, there was just those wrought iron gates. I just handed my camera through the through the oh, gate geez. to him and he walked you know he walked up to us because i ended i went with my wife and we had like sec matter of fact back in the day one of my best friends ran a uh, a harmony house music store yeah and he they had the ticket master and when the day the tickets went on sale i think we were driving to a kiss expo in new york that was the day the tickets went on sale and we ended up getting second row but my wife and I walked up, my wife and I walked up to the, and it was like fucking insane. You know, the people jumping all over the place. So we ended up I walking back and watching the rest of the show. Like our tickets were like 18th row. So we had like 18th row floor. Okay. And I said to my friend, Dan, he's a tall guy like me. I said to him, I got to return my camera after the thing. Wait at the seat. I'll, I'll be back. No matter what happens, I'll meet you at this seat. And sure enough, there was a massive stage rush. Matt, yep, Dan waited for me. Literally, we were. I was back. There was like there's like eight rows of empty seats, and then Dan in the 18th row waiting for me. We we moved our way up. We were about like fourth row. There's a tap on my shoulder at some point, and I turn around, and Sebastian Bach yeah. his way up. And at some point, like not long after that, we lifted a wheelchair up there's a guy in a wheelchair we were body passing a wheelchair like it was that that was that was probably like like you just said it was super hot out that day 
It was beautiful, sunny. They could not have handpicked a better summer sort of day for that. It was just beautiful. But was that ever a drunk crowd? Oh, Holy God. shit. People were partying all fucking day. Um, like I said, we went up front, and right before Kiss went on, my wife's like, I don't feel safe. And then that just yeah. fucking sea of humanity. <laughs> and if you remember, those were just cheap-ass folding chairs. I mean, oh, yeah. that wasn't, they yeah. were garbage. And I'm like, fuck this. So we, we, we went back. We still had really good you know, sight line and everything, but I got out of that fucking mess. Again, I was with my wife, too. I mean, if I was with my buddies, you know, I still remember your wife would probably remember... I remember getting up front for, you know, at Cobo Hall. Uh, I, I saw Ozzy on the Diary of a Madman tour there. Oh. And fuck it. It was like my, you you could lift your feet off the fucking ground and not hit the ground. You were so packed up. Yeah, you're totally. You know, oh, it was just, Cobo shows were just, that was the ultimate rock and roll, you know, experience. It's just great living here for that. Um, Rika, why don't you tell you she went to Regina. Oh my! What year did she graduate? Oh, she she already she already she she already went and did her thing. She just she already's like he went to Notre Dame. <laughs> I did. I went to Notre Dame. My daughter graduated from Regina. His hey, real quick. Regina. We, we got it. Hold on. What year did she graduate? Eighty-eight. Eighty-eight. All right. Well, because my my girlfriend before my wife of two years went, but she would have been a couple years older than your. What grade school? What grade school did you go to? Uh, I just went to a public school. Lance Cruz. Where? What, which one? Lance Cruz. Lance Cruz? Does that make sense? Yeah, I live right near Metro Beach. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, what grade school did your girlfriend go to, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> you know Jason Krause? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Matter of fact, uh, Jason's son plays drums for Ted Nugent. Oh no no that's no that's Jason I'm sorry Jason Krause yes the guitar player for Kid Rock Kid Rock yes Kid Rock yeah I thought you were talking about uh, the other J Heartless is what I thought you were talking about Jason oh no Jason Krause Jason his band um his for his drummer Danny who passed away uh, good kid I mean this is when we were kids I used to rent them my PA Jason played. Matter of fact, I think Jason lives the street over from me. Yeah, he lives. He lives in Harrison Township. He lives the next street next to me. And, and as usual, the wheels come off in Detroit. That's where the whole everything just goes. The minute you start we, talking Detroit, the wheels come off everything. Yeah, this that we lost this interview once we hit Detroit. <laughs> Hi. Oh, she's trying to poke her head in now. I just got out of the shower, but. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Jason actually they t I think the it was they tore the house down where they grew up and they built a really big house. Yeah. And, it, I, and it's it's literally the next street over from me. Yeah, he built a nice house. I mean the house is nice when his parents lived there too. How does this pertain to Kiss? It does. <laughs> <laughs> hey, especially I tell you what, that's that's one thing your, your wife will know. Well, I, East Siders are very tight, man. East Siders and that's another thing. That's what was always the big joke about the, the, the Journey song. No one says South Detroit. There's no, there's East and there's West. Nobody says North or South Detroit. And I actually called them out on that because I did a bunch of work with Journey and I called them out of that and they flat out said it just sounded right. It just sounded right. It was like... It wasn't because whenever I hear that, I'm like, nobody here says South Detroit. It's see, you know, either, either from the East Side or the West Side. It's going to be weird now when I sing that. Because I sing yeah. it in my husband's band, 
going to be weird when I sing that. I'm going to be thinking about There's that. There's no South Detroit. Technically, I'm change I the lyrics just there is, but I nobody identifies. Feel like Windsor or something? <laughs> well, I, I will tell you, I went to I went to boarding school in Windsor. Ah, okay. Yeah. Oh, God, and I have to say, I actually was trying to figure out which Kiss shirt to wear for this. So, okay, can you see twerk? It says twerk, and it's Miley Cyrus. <laughs> oh my God! And it's Miley Cyrus. Cyrus. Out and Gene Simmons. Perfect. I figured I'd go, with, go with the Kiss shirt. I would go with just to turn it to Gene. I'd go with the Kiss shirt. He made no money on. <laughs> Gene, Gene, Gene would Gene would call you up and go, "Where did you buy that, Paul?" And I would also, and I'm also, and I also the other thing that thought it was. Um, with the dad that bested Gene at his own game because Billy Ray Cyrus created Miley Cyrus and Gene didn't create, you know what I mean? Just, right. Gene, Gene's phone like, call. damn it, I could have done a TV show call. with my kids. I didn't think of that. What? Be expecting a phone call. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where'd you get that yeah. shirt? It's like, that was like, I was like, which one should I wear? Because I got so many and I almost went Dynasty and I'm like, oh no, I saw it work. Oh, oh that, that would have been terrible, matching shirts. Oh my God! Then you would yeah. have to call each other and wardrobe coordinate. Yeah, it's it's like it was like it was like the the uh, Detroit ESP, Detroit Dynasty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Paul, 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 thank you, thank you so yes. much. This this was this was Great. incredible. That was such a fascinating conversation. I loved it. I mean, Paul mm -hmm. was, mm -hmm. you know, the business stuff he was talking about, but his kiss stories. I mean, those were all incredible Kiss stories. Well, when you think about it, Metal Edge was such a, uh, a go-to magazine, you know? So, you know, to kind of be involved in that around that time was pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I tell you, it's a bit difficult for me because I, to, I wasn't a big Metal Edge fan. It wasn't geared toward what I liked. It had it was poison really, in it. Drip. They had What's poison. That? They had poison in Metal Edge, Mark. <laughs> Warren, no, I, 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 I wasn't. I wasn't. I was probably reading Ardshock and all the. You know. Well, I read all of them. To, to me, and, and look, because I, I thought we had an incredible guest, and I thought they they certainly covered. It was funny when he was talking about because here's what I thought was weird about Metal Edge. There's always little pictures of every band that was in it. It was like you hardly ever had a cover, you know, with like one guy on it. You know what I mean? Oh, I know what and you're those, saying. On the cover, it was yeah, little, there was little pictures. Right, all, right. And I always thought it was funny. There was like Cold Chamber and then Winger. You know what I mean? They, well, they, yeah, they that was like de definitely, definitely in the '90s when they started to have to add in that the the newer metal. That's when I lost interest because I just. It was yeah. great. Just if it was all the 80s metal, I absolutely loved it. And yeah. I can't tell you how many young bands I probably first learned about because I read the little blurb about them in Metal Edge or the lead singer of this band is in a photo with Slaughter. Oh, I love Slaughter. Well, let me check out this band who knows Slaughter. I mean, you know, what I said early on is true. It was okay. very much like the Internet. Metal Edge was like an internet website back then because it was a lot of tidbits of information yeah. and a lot of photos and a lot of reality photos, which was completely opposite of the circus magazines and the hit paraders. I only paid attention to Metal Edge at Metal Edge is because Kiss was in it regularly. 
but yeah, I used to also, yeah. I used to I used to have to almost hold my nose when I was going through it because it seemed like Tiger Beat to me. No, I'm just telling you. It, it's oh, that's a good analogy there, Mark. You know, it it was like you know Nelson and Winger and shit. I just didn't like. And I'm and guys, look, I, it's just for me. I'm if you like that stuff, knock yourself out. I, that's not what I liked. So and they didn't cover really metal church and testament stuff they didn't so again i was reading more more of the the more traditional metal sort of magazines but i i obviously i have quite a few issues because kiss was in a lot yeah any any one that kiss was on it's on my shelf over there yep yeah i mean i have a whole box full of metal edge magazines just because kiss is on the cover you know kiss is in it it's funny that that issue that he showed, I I know that issue very well. You know, I have it on my shelf. You know, it's a it's a great that's a great issue. And he's right. There's a ton of kiss in it, so it's really good. But anyways, yeah, he was a that was another thing too. He was just one of those great guests who just kind of hit and let him go, sit back, and he, he shares his stories. Yep. yep. Yeah, I, I love those conversations. Um, I would say for homework this week, what was your favorite kiss related story that Paul shared? Yeah, he shared a- And if you have a Metal Edge magazine with Kiss on the cover too. Yeah, were you, you know? were, were you a Metal Edge reader, and what did you think? So there's there's, there's your there's your homeworks. Um, you know where to go: Facebook.com/slash Three Sides of the Coin, or Instagram, or Twitter, mm-hmm. or YouTube, wherever we uh, post this stuff. Leave your answers, and uh, if you're watching on YouTube, hit that red subscribe button. If you're listening on Spotify, follow us and iTunes. Subscribe and leave us a review and a rating. And that's it. Until next week. Love the show. Go to iTunes.threesidesofthecoin.com and leave your review and rating of Three Sides of the Coin. Thanks. Download your free free copy of the KISS School of Marketing. 11 Lessons I Learned Working with KISS. The number one downloaded business book on Noise Trade. Go to books.noisetrade.com slash Michael Brandvold. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. So you love the show. Go to iTunes.threesidesofthecoin.com and leave your review and rating of Three Sides of the Coin. Thanks.